Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Drive to deep center field. Going back, Hernandez at the track, right to the wall. Gone! Elvis Andrews! And 29 other MLB clubs. High drive, deep left field. left the building. Guerrero lifts one to left field, and gone! Oh, Tani. That was a moonshot out there in the right center. Alonzo defends his title, the 2021 Derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from OPS Plus to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. It is an absolute beautiful day here for baseball at the Oakland Coliseum as the A's are going to be taking on the Texas Rangers Friday night baseball. Three games left in this four-game set, and we're watching the Athletics take BP as we speak. We're watching them to get some work done. I am very happy about my notes today because something was introduced today, and we've talked about it a lot, and some people don't like it they don't like and you know what these are the old notes where where's today's notes oh here we go so when we bring up how long games are there is that certain part of the crowd that just goes i don't care baseball doesn't have a clock i never want to have a clock i don't worry about how long the game is and i think what we have found out over the years that that crowd has started to really shrink. And the more we hear from people, it is, yeah, I don't want to be there for three and a half hours on a weeknight when I got to work and I can't take my kids and I can't do this and I can't do that. Or I'm on a Saturday, a Saturday for three at three and a half hours. If you can't, if you count the drive into the ballpark, driving home, you're talking about an experience that's well over four hours. We don't have that kind of time. So we have been talking so much about how to speed up the game, whether it's been pitch calm. We're talking about a pitch clock. Well, it showed up in my notes today. The fastest tempo with the bases empty for pitchers. So it says, earlier this week, StatCast added pitch tempo to the leaders section of the site. Pitch tempo measures the median time between pitches. In other words, pitch release to pitch release. They have data that 
that they've collected dates back to 2010. You can go back and look at the past years. For added context, they la label any pitch thrown within 15 seconds to be fast and any pitch thrown after longer than 30 seconds to be when slow. I, when I point at you. Yeah, it means I talk slow. Did you ever see the movie Moneyball? I th I've seen it once or twice. I read the book, too. Slow. Plus, you can compare multiple pitchers and view how quickly a pitcher operates with bases empty compared to runners that are on. Obviously, you're going to work slower when the runners are on. But we have a leader in the clubhouse. We didn't even knew the. We didn't even know this was going on. I didn't know. I found out today. Did you know this was going on? Like I said, I've been using Fangraph's pace, which is a little different. It just shows you how fast in between pitches a guy goes, and. Shane Bieber was one of the leaders on that list, and shocker, he's the leader on pitch tempo for Baseball Savant StatCast leaderboard. All right. Right now, he is, the Shane Bieber, former Cy Young Award winner, is the fastest guy when it comes. You have to qualify now because Silseth, who we've seen in Anaheim, uh, he may be 10 seconds, but Bieber's 14 seconds. So I have released the baseball. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm looking. I'm I have released the baseball. Boom. Catcher has caught it. Here we go. I'm going to get it back. I'm going to get on the mound. I'm going to get my sign. Guy steps back into the box. I like the sign. I'm now through my windup. I release again, and pitch is gone. That's how fast Shane Bieber is. That's 14 seconds right there. Now, if we actually did the 30-second test, how long that would be, ready, go. This is how long it would be. We'd be standing around. I'm an infielder. I'm standing around. I'm kicking my feet. They're going through the pitches, going through the signs. I'm an outfielder. It's windy here at the Coliseum. It's cold. What are we doing? Uh, 15 seconds has gone by. Still no pitch. Still no pitch. Think how long this would be if I'm standing here and I still have not – Still haven't thrown the pitch yet, Cody. 25 seconds. We're so, what are we doing? Yeah. What are we doing? Boom, that's 30 seconds. Can you imagine all that? That Now we're starting truly to understand length of games, why they are taking so long. If I then take that right there, that 30 seconds between every single pitch, and now the manager makes five to six moves to the bullpen, which now for at least a commercial break is going to be two minutes and 30 seconds. If I did that five times, now we can see how the length, how we've added easily 45 minutes to a game that didn't need to have happen. Exactly. And Despite the action, whether I'm walking guys, striking guys out, balls in play, double play, whatever, guys swinging at the first pitch or we're going to full counts, I can show you how we've added 40 to 45 minutes of just time that you didn't need to have happen that doesn't happen in other sports. In football, you have to snap the ball. In basketball, you have to get the ball not only across half court, but you have to shoot it by the time the clock goes zero. We have a pace clock in every single sport except baseball. We're now showing if we put one in action, and even StatCast is showing if we do that, we can speed up the pace of the game. So I went back and looked because I know we, we talked about this a few weeks ago, how fast the clock, what the clock's like in the minor leagues. With nobody on base, the clock is 14 seconds, the pitch clock. With runners on, it's 18 seconds to go on the board. The batter. Okay, okay so let's, 
let's examine that. 14 seconds. Yes. So in the minor leagues, you have 14 seconds to do what the fastest pitcher does in baseball. Yeah, Shane Bieber. So every single minor leaguer has to be faster than than what every big leaguer is right now. Yes, uh, pretty much. And you have 18 seconds with runners on. That means the batter has until the nine-second mark in both instances to be ready in the box. Otherwise, the umpire can assess a strike to the count. So there you go. That's got, until the pitch clock works in the minor leagues. We've seen it watching the Stockton Ports and San Jose Giants. I've seen uh, – well, those, I haven't seen any of minor league games besides those, those two teams play, uh, besides the Fresno when they come to play San Jose. But the pitch clock works, and we saw how it shaved off time to like two hours and 34 minutes is a given time for a minor league game right now. Um, the A's actually are one of the fastest teams in baseball when it comes to game time play. They're actually under three hours. But the pitch clock will definitely help. And I have the leaderboard for the A's right now. And if you do this by 100 pitches because only two guys on the A's have done it, qualified with the 250 that, that StatCast did in the MLB notes had with Shane Bieber. Um, the A's fastest pitcher with minimum 100 pitches is Cole Irvin, who's pitching tonight at 15.3. So pretty much he's fast. Slowest, Not that fast. Slowest pitcher on the A's? That would be closer. Danny Jimenez at a whopping, what's his roundup, 24 seconds. Oh. Now, it is the last three outs of the game. True. I get it. Heart's pumping, adrenaline going. But, you know, if you just do it, like if we sat here and just went silent for 23 seconds. That's a no-no in our industry. Yeah, but everybody would be like, what's going on? Yeah. Like, if you hear silence for 23 seconds, I mean, that's how long it's taking. Yeah. And, but, by the way, Danny Jimenez, we already know what he's throwing. Yeah, fastball slider. He's throwing a slider. Yeah. I mean, the majority of the time he's going to be throwing a slider and we're taking 23 seconds to do that, that is just, you know, we don't like on this show to go, see what we're right, we've been telling you, we don't like to pat ourselves. Well, Cody likes to pat himself on well, the back. Well, you mean Colin Cowherd does where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong. We should start doing that. We're, 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 we're I don't like or that. Or Ace Cass was right, where Ace Cass was wrong. Well, and you, you want another one where Ace Cass is right? How, how I've been telling you, they're going to do everything they can to keep these 14 pitchers. Yeah, we saw it. It's extended to the, the, towards the end of June now. Yes, yeah, so they, they, they're now taking this into June, citing, wait for it, health reasons. Yeah. So, wait a minute. We've now played all these baseball games, and you're still going to say because of the lockout? Before it was COVID, now it's the lockout. They're going to find every single way not to give up as many pitchers as they possibly can. And what they just don't want to admit to us is that they don't want pitchers to go deep. They want pitchers to use max effort. They want they want them to optimize, and they want them to give their very best on every single pitch for only a certain amount of time, and then you're out, and then here comes the next guy. They don't want a guy to go through the lineup multiple times to get you through the sixth and seventh inning. They don't want that. They want you to go balls to the wall as far as you can, and then we're bringing in the next guy. They don't care if you blow out your arm. You know why? Because they got a surgery for that. They've got Tommy John. And they don't care. They want you to go all out all the time, but we, we don't care for you to go. We don't want you to ever hold back. We don't want you, you know, we talked about, who are we talking about that? We were talking about Mark Langston about, hey, listen, you don't go to your plus fastball in the first inning. You're not you're not airing it out in the first inning because you're trying to conserve so you can go through longer in the game. And I talked to Dave Stewart about this off the air the other day over at NBC. But that's not what they want now. 
They want you to go max effort, innings one through four, maybe five, boom, you're out, we're going to the next guy. And the only way they can sustain that and do it over and over again, and I like what I love having this show on video now, is I can look down because they got eight gazillion guys down the bullpen. See, years ago, they didn't have that. So guys needed to go seven, eight innings. Now that they have all these guys in the bullpen, I mean, we try and conserve our bullpen guys like they're this precious commodity that we're now throwing a bazillion position players out there. It's true, they have. Like, they're, they're, they're now like, hey, listen, these innings don't matter. We got to save, we got to save the 8,000 guys in the bullpen. So we're going to, oh, look how cute this is. Albert Pujols is now going to pitch. Yeah, we saw another one yes, the, yesterday, actually, in the 20 to 5 Reds ball out over the Cubs. Angleton Simmons pitched for the Cubs. I think you believe, I believe he gave up five runs in the eighth inning. Uh, not good. Uh, so I think that's now 17 pitchers now that have been used, position players have been used as pitchers. Real quick for CJ, because on slowest pitcher in baseball, tempo. Lucas Giolito, followed by reigning Cy Young winner in the National League, Corbin Burns. How slow is he? 23.4 for Giolito, 23.1 for uh, Corbin Burns. I got some sanity on, on this Juan Soto thing. He's not worth $500 million. I don't care what his numbers are. He's not a guy... If Juan Soto's coming to San Francisco, if Juan Soto's coming to Oakland... Uh, the Bay Area isn't going, oh, my God, everybody get in the car. We're going to the ballpark. Agreed. That's not happening. He's not He's not butts in the seats. And the way they're talking about him, I'm like going, wait a minute. I have nothing against this kid. Like, I, why, why, wouldn't I, why wouldn't I be excited about this kid? And... You should be excited. He's an unbelievable player. But to compare him to Ted Williams, are you high? Like, what do you want to – oh, look at the home runs. All right, look at the home runs and look at the walks. Juan Soto walks a lot. You got to give him that. You have to give him that. And what you're also going to have to give Juan Soto is the next couple of years of his career, he'll be able to play Major League Baseball to where Ted Williams served his country in the war and lost out great years of his career. But let's just start, right? Juan Soto got to play 116 games in the big leagues as an 18 year, as a 19-year-old in 2018. Do you know how many big league games Ted Williams played in at 19? It wasn't in the majors yet. That'd be zero. Yeah. Okay. Because then you're going to say, whoa, hey, hey, hey. And it's fair. Sox are worried about service time manipulation. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) You got a situation where Juan Soto only gets playing 60 games or eligible for 60 games in 2020 because of COVID. Totally fair. So, Williams, what Williams missed out on at 19 – he makes up for when he's 21 years old. So they're pretty comparable in games played, right? So in this period of Williams from 20 to 23 years old and Soto from 19 to 23, Soto played in 507 games while Ted played in 586. Now that's going to play a little bit for Soto because – Juan hit 106 home runs during that time. Ted hit 127, but he played more games. 
One had RBIs, 325. Ted had 515. See, where they want to compare Soto is with walks. Yeah, I have it right here. And home runs. Go for, ahead. Go ahead. This is silly. This is, this is from Hembo on Twitter a few days. Uh-huh. This is a couple of, about a week ago. First 500 games, Ted Williams, 108 home runs, 411 walks. Juan Soto, 106 home runs, 401 walks. Do so, I need to give you – now, does he have RBIs on there? No. Why? I don't know. He's had home runs and walks. Because they're not close. Yeah. Does he have batting average? No. You want to know the difference in their batting averages? Probably at least 30 or 40 points. 30 or 40? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm playing. 30 or 40? I'm playing the, to the bit because I know the number already. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what a good partner does. Okay. Juan Soto's batting average, 296. What do you think Ted Williams is? 347. 356. It's over 50 points higher. OPS, this this OPS number, which means so much to everybody, that means basically nobody really wants to talk about the slug with the on-base with Williams and Soto. They'll talk on-base because Soto walks a lot, but they don't want to go to the slug because slugging – not only does Teddy Ballgame get on base, <laughs> Teddy Ballgame slugs, and he slugs a lot. Uh, Teddy Ballgame has a 1,123 OPS, which, by the way, should favor Juan Soto in less games because now we're talking percentages. Yeah. Right? Less games should, should help him percentage. Soto's not even in the ballpark. He's at 968. Yeah, that's his career because he's only played in how many? 507 games. These are both there from 19 to 23. Now he still has a lot left to do as a 20, but really he only has a lot to go down if, you, if we're looking at percentages. Ted was 1,123. I mean, that's smoking him in OPS. You want to go OPS plus? Juan Soto, OPS plus 159. Ted Williams, 190. I can go metrics. I can go traditional. It's not even close. There's one thing that you can make the argument about Juan Soto over Ted Let's Williams. Let's go doubles. Once again, Ted's a slugger. 99 doubles for Juan Soto. Ted Williams, 154. You can't even – you can't even – you can't even put them in the ballpark together. There's one thing you could say that Juan Soto in his young career has done more than, well, Ted Williams ever did. He won a World Series at least. I've, I'm surprised I haven't heard that argument yet. Well, Juan Soto won a World Series. I think Juan Soto is a tremendous player. I think he could be the best player in baseball for years to come. But I think the comparisons to Ted Williams are a bit premature because of we can't compare eras in football, basketball, or hockey, but it's okay to do it in baseball. How, how does that make sense? I can't compare Steph Curry to Michael Jordan or anyone else or Tom Brady to Dan Marino and John Elway because it was different eras. They didn't throw the ball as much then. In hockey, well, you can't do it because no one's going to ever pass Gwen Gretzky in anything. He has more points and more assists than people have points uh, in their career. So I don't think anyone's going to come close to what he did. he's done. But, you, but you, we ta- I'm told all the time you can't compare eras in other sports, but it's okay to compare you know, uh, a guy from now 
I'm like, I'm Mike Trout to, to Mickey Mantle. Well, what about the Aras? I thought the Aras were different. They're different. The game was different. They played less games. Different game, different game, different ball. But it's okay to compare Ted Williams and Juan Soto, but I can't do Mike Trout and someone else. Everybody wants to compare him to Ted, and it just kind of shows that if Ted played today, now you could say Ted faced different type of pitching. Not everybody was throwing the, the velocity. You didn't face as many pitchers. But if you're going to compare, and you think Juan Soto's worth $500 million, what what would what would a guy with – and once again, we've – even after Ted, even after Ted retired, which guys still in that generation never put up numbers like him. Like even after he came back from the Korean War in his last year, I can't, how old was he when he hit thirty nine home runs? His last year's his last year thirty nine. Uh, Ted Williams at thirty nine, he hit twenty six. He played till he's forty one. He had twenty nine home runs his final year. Forty one years. Okay, twenty nine. He's forty one at twenty nine, right? So. There was still players who could have hit 400 or put up his numbers facing the same kind of p- pitching he faced in his era, and they didn't. He clearly stood out amongst the players he played against. Well, that's another thing, too, that no one, no one ever likes to bring up. Uh, Juan Soto never hit 406 in a season like Ted Williams did. Ted Williams hit 406 in a season. Juan that- Soto can't even hit 300 in a season. He's having a he's having a besides home runs this year, he's I mean, he has eight homers. He's hitting two forty five. Yeah. And I, I I will I will say I'll give people the argument of He's okay. hit three hundred in one full season. He had three thirteen. Respectable. He had a very good COVID year, but I mean that's sixty games, so it's people talking And about, I'm not trying to crap on Soto. He's a terrific young player. He is. I mean, but they're trying to say like five like what what you know what I would like to get somebody who's a big merch person and say Juan Soto. I mean, we're not we're the days of the big cable deals are probably gone, and you're not making you're not making your big money off of uh, off of Apple or Hulu or Amazon or Peacock because of one player. You're doing that because of platforms and games. So how much merch? Would you have to like what would have to happen to make a guy worth five hundred million for your organization? It's it's an how out- many jerseys do you have to sell? How many Juan Soto jerseys <laughs> do you have to sell? Because you know part of the problem is, you know, baseball does a lot of sharing of a lot of different things. So how much would like what what what's your return on invest? And you'll hear that from Dan O'Dowd on Thursday. What's the return on investment? To make somebody worth, I mean, even what Trout's making. But, I mean, if Boris, if this is, if you're if you're saying you got three years left of this guy, right, three years? Yeah, he's afraid he's in 2025. So, you got this year, next year, and 2024. And they're saying, trade him now. If I got to trade him now or pay him, like, what would I have to pay him? And, and like, what could he bring me back? Like, what makes Juan Soto so great that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make my money back? Or do you just not care about that? Probably you don't care, but if, but remember the Nationals are supposed to get a new owner, so the new owner is going to want to care about that for one, because the learners are right. The learners that own the Nationals, they're willing to, I guess they want to sell or whatever's going to happen. I don't, I don't pay attention to that as much as other people do. But with Soto, now 
the Nats aren't very good. I mean, I think we can we, I think we can say that they're not very good. I don't think you're going out yeah. on a limb. Yeah. I mean, the eight home runs and 13 RBIs, they're not very good. There's no one on base for him. And now Josh Bell's having a decent year, but his numbers are, are down. But I, I think that he is a great player, but I don't think he's going to end up in Washington, D.C. Now, that's just me. But he, because remember the rumor was in the offseason, he turned down $350 million or whatever the deal was. But now, would I be more more willing to give him the Fernando Tatis deal, knowing what he's already accomplished over Tatis? Absolutely. Because Fernando, as great as he is, doesn't stay healthy. Point in case, right now, what what's he doing right now? Tatis Jr. How's he doing this year? Uh, he's taking BP. Yeah. He hasn't even played yet. So, now Juan Soto in his career, what, I don't think he's really ever been hurt. He's played 160 games. That was his first year. 150, 47 in the COVID year. 151 last year. 43 this year. So he's pretty, he's pretty durable. Where Tatis is, I would I would give him the money if I'm the Nationals. Right now, but they're not going to because they they don't know. I think it's going to be they don't know what they want to do with the ownership. But what mo- like what like what what the th- the 300. I would have take the 350. I think was a fair offer to him. Yeah, in baseball terms, yes. Yes. In business terms, it's still stupid. Well, because I mean, I mean, I I don't I like how how we've got what one guy who has signed a mega free agent deal like this, like mega free agent deal. Like we can go back through the hundred million dollar guys to the two hundred million dollar guys, but. We're talking. We have a very small sample size because I know you love your sample sizes of the three hundred million guys. Mookie Betts is the only three hundred million guy to bring home a ring. But he wasn't a free agent either. He's a trade. So I mean that. But you're right because. But no, I'm saying three hundred. I mean, oh, this million. the yeah, contract. Yeah. I didn't because Stanton hasn't done it. Harper hasn't done it. Machado hasn't done it. Cole hasn't done it. Tatis. Tatis. Um, Trout. Uh, I feel I feel like we're forgetting another guy that's in there. Lindor, somewhere. Lindor, yeah. So those guys. So have, one one guy, one of the three hundred million club plus guys, only one's won the World Series. And Mookie's actually having a. I think he's actually having a decent year. He's rebounded. Mookie right now is hitting two eighty, ten home runs, twenty six RBI. I mean that's the batting average is a little low for Mookie, but the rest of his numbers are pretty standard. He has a solid WAR so far this year. He almost has a. How many years has he been in the league? Mookie has a he's been in the league for nine years. He could be a Hall of Famer if he base off sixty probably in another year. I know the whole war thing, I, I don't get it. I don't get why some guys' wars, you'd think their wars way higher, and you think of Mookie Betts, like Mookie Betts has only hundred and eighty eight career home runs. I mean Sammy Sosa's doing that in Two and a half years. <laughs> yeah, this well, and yet this guy's this guy's WAR is already fifty two, and he only has one hundred and eighty eight. Well, I mean, I know he's great defensively, and that helps. But yeah, great. You know what? Fabulous. You're oh, your your right field defense. If you're not an up the middle guy, he's got only five hundred ninety three. Think about this, and this is what gets me about WAR. Great example. Mookie Betts has a hundred and eighty eight career jacks. 593 RBIs. He's entering his 30s. So we know he's getting to that point where the best is not behind him yet, but it's soon. Mookie Betts at the end of his career is going to be what? 
just around a thousand RBIs guy. Yeah, but his but his war, but his war will be so high. His war will be like, like seventy or eighty. <laughs> and he played for two iconic big money franchises, so it's like at least with like Juan Soto right now to defend my guy Juan Soto, uh, I can say Juan's playing in a lineup that's got not, nobody. Mookie Betts will never say that in his career. Well, that's well, no, I will never disagree with you on that. Mookie Betts has played in a total offensive ballpark for a right-handed hitter in Fenway, with the bouncy ball. I mean, his numbers, 296, huh? I mean, nothing stands out. Like, what really stands out about Mookie Betts? OPS does. Oh. Mookie's hit a three-run homer against Juan Soto in the Nationals, too, as we're talking about it. He's better than Juan Soto. (laughs) But, I mean, does anything stand out to, like, do you want me to bring Ted Williams back up? No, no. We're, now we're talking about iconic Red Sox outfielders. Ah, uh, but Mookie, look at the war. Look at his uh, – what was Ted's war? Like 123 or something. I might have been higher. I might be shortchanging him. Uh, it was only 122. Oh, it's close. That's uh, pretty solid. Mookie's not even half of that yet. Um, but, yeah, Mookie has a three-run homer for the Dodgers. Now hit his 11th. Dodgers being the Nationals, 5-3 in the nation's capital. <laughs> Yan- Yankees with all these guys hurt. Donaldson, Stanton. Nah, that wasn't where I was going. Because I heard a great comment yesterday. We don't have to get into it today, but I heard Tim Kirchner say that Aaron Judge is the best player in baseball over Manny Machado because he hits more home runs and because he plays in New York, and that's always going to help. <laughs> <laughs> so because he plays for the Yankees, he's the best player in baseball? Well, we're, and to be fair, the Yankees do have the best record in baseball. Okay. Let, let me let – me, let me, how old – is Tim Kirkshen. 62 or 63, I'm going to guess. Let's see. Tim Kirkshen is, and it just goes to show you how, look it up because I'm not, my phone's on. It just goes to show, and it's why I talk all the time, and no offense because I know you can hear us in the press box. Um, Kirkshen's 65, my bad. Yeah, he's 65 years old. 63. Our elder statesman in our game who cover our game, who work in our game, are not the people that are great at really promoting what our game is. And it is just sad, but it's unfortunate that a lot of people that are supposed to be enhancing the brand of our game, enhancing everything about our game, are, are a bunch of old, old guys. No offense, and I know some of you may be going to the bathroom or listening in the elevator, but it's true. We're looking at you, Alex Jensen. We're looking at a bunch of you old guys. You say stuff, and it's like, what are you talking about? That the best game, he's the best player in baseball because he plays for the, well, he plays in New York. That is something that you would hear in the 50s and the, well, you can go way back all the way into the 20s, but that's something that how our game has shrunk. Because of the app, because of the MLB network, because of everything, like, we get to see everybody's at-bats now. We get to see everybody's games. It isn't about just the Northeast, for God's sakes, and just because you play for the Yankees, just because you play for the Yankees doesn't mean you're better than Manny Machado, whether he's playing in Baltimore or San Diego, it doesn't matter. You're giving a guy an A, an edge, that he is better because of the uniform that he wears? That is lunacy. That doesn't happen in other sports. Why? Michael Jordan 
played for the Chicago Bulls. People think he's the greatest player of all time. He never played for the New York Knicks. What the hell are you talking about? They play for the Wizards. Tom Brady just won the Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What the hell are you talking about? You don't have to play in New York to be the best player. And that is not good for promoting our game. How many years do we have to listen to these guys? It's like, ah. Uh, I didn't think I was going to be so animated. Dude, well, because I watch MLB Network, and they say this stuff, but then you go, though, that's right, they're all based in the Northeast. It's like crazy. You could have the greatest player in the West. I mean, is, 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 you, you think somebody's really better than Trout? He did, he did start by saying, I don't but think. But do you think there's anybody no. better than Trout? No. If Trout played for New York, if oh. he played for the Yankees, can you imagine? He would be, he'd be marketed more than he is by now, right now by 100 times. There's a reason why our growth is so slow compared to other sports. We played the we played the interview of Ray Fossey with 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 Sparky Anderson, who in the mid '90s, Sparky's complaining that they're wearing multiple uniforms. <laughs> Sparky Anderson is complaining about stuff. You're like going, "Oh my God, it's 1995, and this guy's complaining that they're trying to sell more merchandise." Do you now see what I'm talking about, like how slow that everybody has been in our sport to where there's a reason why the NFL and the NBA have just leapfrogged baseball? Go Dubs tonight. Big game. It's not a big game. Pivotal game. What is this? Not a big game. Every Pivotal game, game five, you know they're up 3-1. Every, every playoff game has been decided by how many points now? Uh, the last – you know, so the Celtics and Heat were actually, I think it was a five-point game at the end, but the Heat were losing by like 25 at one point. But every game going before that was like uh, 18 straight games or something like that. Or the last 10 was an average of 17 points per game was a defeat. That's only like the that's not good. That is not good. So I don't know. Let's let's bring some levity to the program with Buster. Speaking of New York, yeah, that's true. He, did he, we? Did, 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 I I was going to have a ban on questions about the Yankees. We didn't. He brought up Judge, or I think you said something about Judge, and that was it. We didn't ask about the Yankees though. Yeah. And I think he mentioned. I'm sorry to get angry. I just get so tired of hearing. It's like it's like you can be a star. I put it this way: you can be a star in the NBA in any city. Where does Giannis play? No, that'd be uh, Milwaukee. Where does Steph play? San Francisco. You can be a star anywhere in the NBA. In football, man, Joe Burrow. Where's Joe Burrow play? Cincinnati. Cincinnati, I mean, in the NFL, you can be a star anywhere. You can be a star in Carolina. You can be a star in Minnesota. You can be a star, well, you could have been a star here in Oakland. You can be a star anywhere. Cleveland. Arizona. Cleveland. Cleveland. Baker Mayfield has commercials in Cleveland. He's not even their starting quarterback anymore. I mean, seriously, you can be a star anywhere. Baseball, can you be really a star anywhere in baseball? Can you be a national star anywhere in baseball? New York. I mean, you you can't, you can't tell me that's not a problem, and it's a problem that you've caused because the other sports. Why are you looking at me saying that? Yeah, I'm, I don't know. You're not old. <laughs> I, I don't have a guy to blame here. Uh, the other sports have proven that not to be right. In fact, hockey too. The best player in the league plays in Edmonton. And, and then I, before that, the best player played in Pittsburgh, not the Rangers or Boston. Explain this to me. Why are the Steelers not considered a small market team in the NFL, but considered a small market team in baseball? 
popular popularity. But. Riddle me that, Batman. Yeah. Figure that one out. And Steelers are considered a heritage. They are. Super Bowl, big-time franchise, Pittsburgh football city. But in baseball, it's, oh, there's just a little, little, little city with a team. How is that possible? Yeah, same with hockey. They're big. They're small. They, I, think they're, I don't get it. They're more mid-market in hockey, but. So, and you know what? I'm sure there's people mad at me at the press box right now, but if you want to argue it, I'll argue with you all day. Small-mindedness in our sport has hurt our sport. Bottom line. Pache, you know things are going bad when how hard the broadcasters are rooting for your hits. You had the flare two games ago up the middle. He had a base hit last night. He Brought in two runs. He, he he had the hit. He had the foul ball down the right field line, and Glenn and Dallas were begging for that thing to drop so bad, <laughs> right? They're literally like, oh, like because you know you you're going to invest so much time, so much energy. He's this. No matter what happens, and hopefully Langoliers comes up and he's brilliant, but Pache is. The, the the main prize out of at, out of the Olsen, Matt Olson trade. And just the numbers this month are just bad. Last twenty one games, he's hitting point zero nine eight, six for sixty one. Those the last two games he has two hits, those two hits have brought him up dramatically. That's how bad he is that two hits can bring him up that much. But this is where the rubber meets the road. Pache's on base percentage is 197. His OPS is 434. Both of those are the worst in Major League Baseball for anybody with 100 or more plate appearances. You think of all of the players in Major League Baseball who have played this year, have donned the uniform and have stepped to the plate 100 times or more, he's the worst in on-base percentage and the worst OPS. That is really, really bad. It's alarming bad. I mean, nothing would thrill me more tonight. Like, we could talk about A.J. Puck, and I'm going to stay strong with A.J. Puck on my belief that this year for him is just about staying healthy, and I will, um, I will, I'll, I'll, I'll stand by it. I don't care what 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 AJ Puck so much does stats wise. I just need him to be healthy. I know he's got a brilliant arm, and once you start seeing him attack people, he's unbut. You know he can, you know. He can be unbelievable. I don't know if he'll ever be a starter. I don't know when they try and convert him back to a starter. But right now, the fact that he takes the ball and shows up the next day and doesn't go on the IL, and that keeps happening, we're at the quarter point, that's a good sign. Pache, though, I wanted to run him out there every day. But at some point, you're not competitive. And when you have the lowest on-base percentage, what does he do? He doesn't get on base. Because you want him to do what? Walk. You want him to get on base. And right now, he doesn't get on base. 
and OPS is on, on base and slug. It's not a good look. What, what else you got? Well, I was just looking up because people – I've seen this um, talked about a lot, and his OAA, his outs above average. He's one of the best outfielders. He's actually the third best outfielder when it comes to that statistic, which is just um, – it's it's a defensive stat that measures your catch probability and just how great of a uh, you know let me look up the true definition because I'm not sure everyone um, understands what it means. Outs above average is a range metric, range based metric of skill that shows how many outs a player has saved. So essentially, it, it in, includes um, your catch probability. Catch probability is a big thing. Like how. How, how essentially how how good of a catch did you make make you know, a, a difficult catch make look easy? He's the third best player with the statistic. Um, the only people ahead of him in the outfield are friend Brett Phillips and Jake Marisnik of the Pirates. So he's at five. The, the league leader is Jonathan Scope, the second baseman from the the from Detroit. He has eight. So he's good on defense. I can't take that away from him. Um, he has three defensive runs saved according to Baseball Reference. That's pretty solid so far this year. But you're, you're right. I mean, for a kid that's 23 years old and all those offensive numbers and for how fast he is, uh, this is what blows me away. For how young or young he is and how fast he is, he does not have a career stolen base. Well, can, can I also bust out a little wisdom here about your uh, outs above average? Yes. And no offense to, you know, your great research there. But what the hell does a ba- a outs above average matter when you're ten and a half games back? I think I think it's used as a statistic to try to build up why a player is still valuable if he isn't hitting. Just like we look at the you still get defensive runs saved, and I would grant you that if you're playing for the Astros, the Angels, the Twins, the White Sox. I grant you that if he was a Yankee or a Blue Jay or, or a Ray. That's why you can make that I'm argument. not done. I would grant you that if he was a Met. I grant you that if he was a Brewer, a Cardinal. And I grant you that if he was a Dodger, Padre, I'll even say a Giant. And I'll even go Tory Lovello, our guy, former A, managing friend of the program for the Snakes, who I'm proud of him, are 22 and 22. Yeah, if you're on a team that's winning and has a chance to win, that matters. Uh, On a team that is a loser of three in a row, 17 and 27, and 10 and a half games back, I, I love the fact you could give me defensive metrics all day long. But this team that is, do we have to go to the offensive statistics? the offensive statistics of this ball club. A's offense. They've scored one run or less 16 times this season, 28th in runs, 29th in home runs, 30th in average, 30th in on base, 30th in slugging, 30th in OPS. Do I need to keep going? No. I mean, so uh, it's great that he's good defensively, but where the A's need help and need him long-term they need offense. He's got to hit. He's not going to stay out in center field and go months where he hits under 100. That's yeah. not That's not going to work. Yeah, and that's not good for his confidence either. Now, I do think I could see, and I hate being the guy that's on the fence saying I could see it both ways. 
But I could see the argument of sending him down the triple A. You hate it, but you're going to be that guy. Yeah. I'm going to be a, like, this, like, no disrespect, but I'm going to disrespect you real quick. Um, <laughs> sending him to triple A. No offense. Yeah, yeah. No offense, but I'm going to offend you. Uh, sending him to triple A might actually help his confidence because we know the ball flies down in uh, the Pacific Coast League or triple A West, whatever we call it now. And Fran Reardon, we know what he could do with an offense. Fran can get can get the uh, boys swinging the lumber well. I mean, Shea Langelier is a second in all of AAA West, Pacific Coast League, and home runs behind only one other player with 11. So maybe that does help him go down there. You can put you can put Ramon back in center field when he's ready to come back. You can and you can set your outfield up that way, and then maybe he gets some confidence. You bring him back in a month or so and see what he does. I mean, Jim Leland told us about it about sending players on. He had to send some of the best players down before. All right, do you have the cut? I do. Let me. Where's my guy smoking Jim? Here's what Jim Leland Friend told us. Friend of the program, by the way. This is what Jim Leland told us, uh, what is it, a couple weeks ago when the A's were playing Detroit about sending players down to the minor leagues. Well, I think one of the keys is that you want to make sure that he's the kind of player, if it gets so bad, that, because I've always believed this, if he's the real deal, you can at some point send him down if you have to, and if he's the real deal, he will come back, and he will come back strong. I sent down some great players in my career, good players for sure, not all great, but some really good players that everybody said, oh, you're worried about, you know, messing them up mentally by sending them down. I said, listen, I, I don't believe in that. they got to be tough mentally to play in the big leagues. And if that's going to bother them or ruin their career, then they got a problem. They're never going to make it anyway. So I think, you know, you, you just you play them as much as you can. If there comes a juncture where you say, you know what, this, this kid's just getting beat up so bad. We got to get him away from it. Let's send him down to AAA. That's not all so bad. I mean, I know the player doesn't want to hear that, and hopefully that doesn't have to happen. But uh, I, you know, I don't really know much about the Oakland A's anymore. But I do know this: that I did hear from a lot of good baseball people that they really made a good trade when they traded Olson, and they really got some talent back. So I, I assume that's one of the kids that they got back. And uh, you know, Oakland's got a pretty good track record. You know, not a big payroll over the last, I can't tell you how many years, but I competed against them for a long time. Very respectful of Billy Bean and that organization and what they've done. They've made a lot of good decisions, and they're normally right in the hunt. They're probably not going to be this year, but they're normally right in there going to postseason or close to it. Smoking Jim, giving love to the front office right there, and he's right. It's just. I, I, well, first of all, I want to say this. I think he's dead right about Pache. I think Pache needs to go somewhere to get some confidence, send him down. I, you can't tell me what we have seen at this level that he's done everything he can do in AAA. I'm not buying that. I think, I think going down and getting some confidence and stop telling me that he's hit a bunch of ground balls hard and go, his barrel rate. He's been an easy out. So, I mean, you're not lying. I mean, you're telling the truth. He has been. I mean, I know that he does hit the ball hard. I'll, I'll, I'll give him that. But if you're not – if they're not falling for hits, I don't care. Like, there are guys that hit the ball hard and get base hits. Like, I know we're, we're trying to build up the confidence with him. But, I mean, I don't – I mean, you're right. I mean, those numbers, the OPS and everything just being so low, I mean – it's what, like, we were joking about, and we'll get into it because we're running out of time, right? Yeah, we only have, like, a minute or two. Um, ERA versus expected ERA. Oh, Alex Cobb. 
expected ERA is always it's like okay your ERA sucks, but what you can control. What we deem you can't control, we're going to convert into a metric called expected ERA. This is what your ERA should be, even though it's X, it should be Y. And I, I, that's like doing business with my brother. Well, we should be doing that, but what's our bank account say? What does the <laughs> bank account say? I don't care what the bank account should have said, what it should say, and what future revenues should be. Tell me what it is now. Because what matters to me is what's in the bank account now, right? That's what it is. And to me, when guys don't have good numbers and you've got to go to a certain metric, like his barrel rate, his barrel rate, you're trying to make an excuse for why a guy doesn't have good numbers. So you're using one metric to say, well, in this metric – Alex Cobb's a great example, has a horrible ERA. Everybody starts saying, yeah, but his expected ERA, and then he goes out last night and gets trounced. Yeah, give up six runs. I think. He has a 6.25 ERA on the year, but his expected ERA is supposed to be 190. They gave up six runs last night. Well, And what's it now? Uh, well, it's ERA now 6.25. And his expected is supposed to be 190, but last night I read in an article, well, he gave up six runs, and he just has really bad luck. You gave up six runs. How's that bad luck? And they were earned. How's that bad luck? You're trying to make an excuse for a bad number. Exactly. Politicians do this all the time. Politicians have bad stuff go on, and politicians will spin it. You know, it's what politicians do. Hey, why do we have record gas prices? Well, there's always excuses why. Why do we have record inflation? You weren't even around for Jimmy Carter, and I barely, I was a little kid, I just remember how the, bad. The, the peanut farmer? The peanut farmer. Yeah. I mean, he's a great man. I mean, he's done a lot for a lot of people, but, it, I mean, I just remember waiting in gas when I was a little kid. I mean, why is it bad? Well, there's all the excuses, but you're trying to go, whatever, it's still bad. You know, it, your yeah. batting average stinks. You don't hit home runs. Oh, but, but, his barrel rate. Oh, his expected ERA. Well, Expected ERA doesn't win me anything. His ERA, if it was lower, would win me something. Exactly. If he, if Alex Cobb had a 190 ERA, he wouldn't have a 6.25, and the Giants wouldn't be three games over. Statistics lie, and liars use statistics. You use that line a lot. I didn't make that up. <laughs> I wish who who made that up. I don't know. That's that that takes us down a rabbit hole. Do we have himbo? Hear me, gentlemen. What's up, buddy? How are you? I am doing outstanding. Enjoying my last few months of freedom, as you well know, my friend. So we're getting that close to the child. The children. Oh, that's right. Children. You're having twins. That's right. I decided that I was going to follow in your footsteps in every way. And that I guess includes my biological footprint as well. So my wife and I are expecting identical girls in, at the end of September. And so uh -huh. I have between now and then to get my, my life in order. Yeah, because the reality is... People don't understand, like, people have one child, and they think it's like, oh, my God, our lives are upside down. When you have two, or let's just call multiples, because you'll start running into two, people have three. Like, you're like, one kid? One kid's easy. You know how easy having one child is compared to having two? And then the other thing is, like, you'll understand, is, like, you go from having no kids. You might, you have a dog, right? 
We have a dog. Yeah, it's yeah. Chase and, named and, after Chase Utley. And you think, oh, the dog's your pet? Uh, your dog's your kid? No, no, no. You go from having zero kids to two kids. It's constant feeding. It's constant diapers. Boy, the next two and a half, three years, my friend. A whole get the. You better get that book done now. <laughs> you got me all choked up just thinking about this. Look, at some point in the summer, we've got to do like a full like advice column where you. I just like sort of bring. I don't know like 20 burning questions that I have about all of this. And I'm just going to rifle them off at you, and you're going to provide me your valued experience. Are you on board with such a thing? Uh, most importantly, I will take everything you send me. Because if anybody did it right, my wife did it right. She had them both sleeping through the night. They were on such a structure, feeding, diapers. Just Let's did- go. She was, it was, um, everybody else was like, it was a train wreck with twins. My wife had this thing down to a science. I just followed it. I was the, you're in trouble because I ended up being the nighttime guy. You're a, you have a morning show being on get up. I don't know. how I. You're basically going to come home, not sleep. And you got to take the kids, all of the babies, all the way up to when you need to go to sleep. I've been waking up at three o'clock in the morning ever since I was working on Mike and Mike. I wonder, I wonder if my experience not sleeping much and waking up at the wee hours will help me in this case. Totally. Or if there's just really no preparation here. Like, like uh, it was described to me earlier. Like, if you're having a kid, a storm is rolling through. You can withstand the storm. You're having two at the same time. You're just entering. You're walking into a tornado willingly. <laughs> and and it's my job now to emerge unscathed. That's the analogy that was provided to me. Yeah, but you know what? Here's the thing. After about two and a half to three years, you're golden because now they play together. And that's what that's what that's where it really becomes tough for people who just have one and then they have a second one. And now you have a baby and a toddler. And when you have twins, they end up being buddies. They play together. You just got to get through the first two and a half, three years. And then it's money in the bank. (laughs) Three years is quite quite the timeline, I guess. Oh, no, 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 no. Trust me. It'll be like that. Yeah, I'll sit down. I'll watch one World Series game, and then it will have arrived. That that time will have arrived. All right. um, Let's start with the A's today. You've done some research, and I'm very surprised your research has said that the A's offense isn't very good. (laughs) Um, The A's lineup uh, is not very good. I have to remember that I'm here talking on the flagship station, but there was a legendary manager. I forget who it was that said it. But it was something to the effect of my, my team could take BP in a ballroom and not break anything. <laughs> that, that's, that, that's, the, that's the yearbook uh, photo right now for the 2020 Oakland A's as far as, as I'm concerned. The numbers are obviously staggering. You guys know them as well as I do. Yeah. But the, 580, but the 586 OPS through Sunday is the worst figure at the quarter mark of any team since the 1972 Rangers. That team, in addition to having a number of players whom I've never heard of, went 54 <laughs> and 100. And if you want to think about it, like in just terms of the collective batting line, right now the A's uh, weighted runs created plus. That's on a, you know, a, a scale in which 100 is average. That's 77. It's 23% below average. A staggering figure when you consider a team, just for example, like the 03 Red Sox, loaded, right? Like Hall of Fame hitters up and down it. They were 20% above <laughs> the league average. So your, your lineup is – like that's sort of the, the – that's sort of the disparity there. Like that's right now, at least that's how bad this team is hitting. And if I have to say, just sort of looking from the outside, the one player who I thought would really hit this year that hasn't so far is Sean Murphy. This is a guy who I just, I've had in my fantasy team the last couple of years. And he's a player that I've really gotten on board with in, in addition to Ramon Laureano. 
I just see like the, the slugging de uh, declining in every single season. I'm not seeing the same basketball that we saw early in his career. And this is a player whom I thought coming into the season had a chance to emerge as a top 10 player at the position. Look, you're not going to fix the lineup with a single guy getting hot. But that's one player in particular that I would say I was expecting a lot more from this season. And if you think all of what you said is bad, I got to keep score for every game. <laughs> I was saying, I heard it suggested that the A's, you guys should actually rename yourself Murderer's Row because teams that watch the A's this year want to inflict harm on themselves. Look, I think it will, tur I think it will turn around. I really do. Um, because there are enough um, potential, there's enough potential in that lineup with guys whom I do believe in. What you wonder though is if guys get hot and they decide, you know, to ship them away and, and continue to buffer the minor league system. You guys are just sort of in for it. I, I sort of feel for you. This is the sort of stage in which that teams that operate, you know, in sort of your financial world have to go through. The Orioles are dealing with it as well. It's one of those things that's just tough for the fan, but, you know, base to try to reconcile day after day. And look, you guys are living it. Yeah, well, uh, if I had to bet on anybody getting hot and being traded, uh, good mm -hmm. luck on that one. Uh, <laughs> you want to bring up Manny Machado. Ten hits in his last 19 ABs, hitting 526. He's leading everybody in average on base. He's tops in the National League in slugs, so his, uh, his OPS fantastic. I, I don't know how many people are paying attention. Obviously, you are. I mean, Manny Machado, is this the year he finally gets the MVP? He might. So right now, that's Lashes, 374, 446, 619. What I'm going to wow. do for you is read a comprehensive list of third basemen to ever lead their league in average on base and slugging in a single season which Manny Machado is on pace to do. The entirety of that list is Miguel Cabrera in 2013, the year after his Triple Crown season in which he won back-to-back -back MVPs, and George Brett in 1980. That's the list. It's never happened once in the history of the National League, and he's doing it without Fernando Tatis Jr. Look, I'll be honest. This is a player I was wrong about. When the Padres signed him, I didn't think it would be a sunk cost, but I thought they were paying a premium talent, like sort of a, um, a premium dollar on a player that was not a premium talent. But he's demonstrating that he absolutely has it all in his bag right now because he plays plus defense. He hasn't turned 30 yet. 48 war, 250 homers, nearly 1,500 hits. Dude, this guy's a freaking Hall of Famer. Like, this guy's going to – like, if he's able to just stay healthy, which he does better than anyone else in the sport, he's going to freaking get there someday. And if you look at just in totality the value he's produced since he joined that club, Fangraphs has a metric that they call dollars, which just sort of estimates what a player's would be worth on the open market given the value they've produced. He's been worth about $100 million in 410 games, all right? This is an example of a mega contract paying off in a big way. We know sometimes you lose the uh, sort of the back end there. But right now, this guy is in the smack dab middle of his prime. And it would not surprise me at all if he stayed hot enough to win the MVP this year, especially when Tatis gets back in that lineup. Uh, interesting conversation going on in baseball because Juan Soto has, what, three years left? You don't have to pay him now, but – if you want him long-term, you're going to have to pay him, but we'll even take the deal. He's a Boris guy. Boris is going to want to get this guy to free agency to get the biggest contract that we've ever seen in baseball history. The Nationals are up for sale. We don't know what the new owners want. The new owners may say, hey, listen, trade him now. We don't want to deal with the headache. Or they might say, sign him because we don't want to lose him. Will this be one of the most interesting free agents, not only because as a player, but all the business stuff going around him at the same time in our nation's capital? Fascinating. I, I think this is a fascinating thought experiment on a couple fronts. 
parenthetically, given his age, Monsoto's 23, and given his skill set as a prodigious hitter, as literally the Ted Williams of his generation, it is my opinion that if Juan Soto were traded this summer, he would be the best player, or at least the most valuable player, most valuable asset traded since Babe Ruth in 1920. That might sound crazy, right? Frank Robinson was traded. Uh, Miguel Cabrera was traded. Any number of great players were traded. But you don't see guys this talented traded this young ever. I think you have to go back that far to find that context. And frankly, thus, there is absolutely no precedent for trading for a player as good as and as young as Juan Soto. So that's sort of one side of things. The other side of things is that (laughs) if I'm interested in buying a baseball team, in this case, the Washington Nationals, and I know with a high degree of certainty that Juan Soto does not want to stay, you know what I'm not doing? Buying the baseball team. Look, if I have that much money, if I got that much money, I want to watch Juan Soto wear my laundry and hit for my team for the next 15 years. That's what I want. And I'm willing to give him a half a billion dollars in order to do it. But I'm not that interested in owning the Washington Nationals if Juan Soto is not playing right field for me and is not batting you know, the, the, in the top third of my lineup. I'm just not. It, re- it reminds me a lot of the, when, um, when, when Derek Jeter was looking to be a part of the ownership group to buy the Marlins. We know, like, would you trade Giancarlo Stanton was a massive question mark on the front end of it. And I think soured in a lot of minds his uh, sort of start to his ownership tenure there. And I'm not sure he ever quite got over it, even though I think the deal has been proven to be good because they shed that salary. So on, on a multitude of fronts, this is fascinating. What do you got for me? Uh, teacher, can I speak? Please. Is Juan Soto a great player? No question. Can can I can I go from the business standpoint of it? Hit me. Yeah, hit me. Juan Soto walks down the street, no one even knows who he is. That's not Tiger Woods. <laughs> That's not Tom Brady. That's not LeBron James. That I mean, for, from a money standpoint, a guy could go out. I mean, Babe Ruth put butts in the seats. Babe Ruth saved the sport. Juan Soto doesn't put butts in the seats. Granted, he's a great offensive player, and he's probably doesn't get hurt, going to be a Hall of Famer, whatever. He will never be the face of baseball. He, I mean, he's a he's a great player who walked down the street. I mean, you want where? Oh, he could be worth five hundred million for what? You're going to sell jerseys for? I mean, how 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 am I going to get my return on investment from this from this guy? Tell, explain so, to me from a biz. Don't tell me about his. Oh, he matches Ted Williams. Don't tell me about his baseball numbers. Tell me from a business standpoint how he's worth half a billion dollars. Well, I think by using that standard of measure, which parenthetically I don't disagree with, there is no player in baseball then that would measure up because what you just described is not a Juan Soto problem. It's not a Mike Trout problem. It's not a Fernando Tatis problem. It's a baseball problem problem no i totally disagree because you know what baseball is now it's a it's Mm. a content provider baseball's value is the fact that we got 162 games and the amazons apple peacock nbc hulu they need content and they're willing to spend a bazillion dollars and they don't care who's playing they just need the content so whether you're mike trout you're manny machado you're juan soda you're whoever do you really matter anymore your value just like the nfl doesn't matter if tom brady's playing or not you can have you can have the cleveland browns playing whoever on thursday night football and they get ratings you're a content provider that's what baseball has to offer now. Individual guys, you are who you are. Who you are, you are who you are. Can you? Yeah. You're in the TV business, right? 
Right. I'm, I'm approaching this, though, from the perspective of a front office. You're approaching it from the position of what Scott Boris or ownership might be talking about. Yeah. Because that's obviously on a whole nother level. What I'm telling you is that I think Juan Soto is a generational hitter. And when you consider what others like him make, that's what he deserves. Now, I think you could also very reasonably argue that there is no player in baseball more unworthy of the talent that he has been given than Mike Trout, who no one knows who he is. And we know that for sure. Does that mean he's not worth $400 million? I suppose reasonable minds might differ. But I'm saying is, if you can't give Juan Soto half a bill, then there's just no one in baseball that can get close to it. That's all. And if we want to have that discussion and sort of suppress wages because he can't provide the content and put butts in the seats the same way that Babe Ruth did or any other great player of, of the yesteryear, then I'm here for it. But I think when you, have to, when you consider the on-field output there, there is no question. That guy's on the fast track to the Hall of Fame. I mean, I just think about your payroll, one guy. I mean, even with Trout. I mean, the fact that they've now surrounded Trout and things are getting better for the Angels. But, I mean, how many times in baseball have you broke the bank for one guy and it's really worked? Yeah, and in fairness, I think if, like in, in reality, if, if you know for sure Juan Soto's not coming back and Scott Boris tells you as much, then the smart thing to do is to shop him around to, and, and to get heaven and earth moved for him to hit the reset button on your program and hope that it yields you a dynasty. That's obviously the right thing to do. That's probably what smart baseball tells you you should do. In the case of Soto, though, you're going to be able to buy up so many prime years that it's not obvious to me that that's going to be a sunk cost will it compromise the rest of your roster sure there's definitely that chance but we know that in washington they have been willing to approach if not exceed the luxury tax threshold when they do put butts in the seats yeah. right now the reason they're not putting butts in the seats is because the rest of the team around him stinks i'm not putting that on Juan soda when 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 do you do it like like, like 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 forget oh forget i mean th- th- i mean these mike rizzo's in the last year of his deal and this is really mm-hmm. above him this is one family's trying to sell. They're going to sell to whether it's a family or a corporation, whatever. These decisions really are made way above everybody's pay grade. But let's say it's not. When do you sell him? Do you sell him now? Off season? I mean, you still have a couple cycles before you have to actually sell him. Yeah, the answer to that question is probably ASAP because you're not going to wow. be good. Look, you're not going to yeah. be good within the life of his of his you know pre arb years, right? In all likelihood. And the way that he can, the way that you can recoup the most value is by trading him when he can affect the most pennant races. Like that, the more days Juan Soto's in your organization, the more value I have to provide you. I think Miguel Cabrera was traded at, at 24. Now prospects will break your heart. So I, I, I've always been a fan. If you're going to trade Juan Soto, I need big league talent back. I need, I need guys who I know for sure can play, not guys I think can play. That makes a big difference in that sense. But look, if the decision has been made, I don't see any obvious reason for him to be putzing around taking walks in front of 17,000 fans <laughs> in that jungle. There's no obvious reason for that. I'm with you. Um, but if you're going to make that decision, I think sooner than later, because that's your opportunity to you know, attract premium value. I am so curious. You have a new crush. Who is that? My new crush is Shane McClanahan. All right, the, the, the lefty stud, 25-year-old from the Rays. Yeah. And look, this is going to sound ridiculous. But I'm going to say it anyway and duck. <laughs> I think there's a chance. I think there's a real chance that he is going to be the hardest throwing left-handed starting pitcher of all time. Of all time. Now, look, we know that Randy Johnson could touch triple digits. We know Sandy Koufax could throw a ball through a, you know, through a door, etc. There are any number of great pitchers who we know through hard. What we know now 
based upon a high degree of certainty, is that modern pitchers throw harder than they ever did before, in part because they're not asked to throw as often. You know, Shane McClanahan's not asked to get 27 outs in a given game. But what we know for sure is that no um, starting pitcher in the pitch tracking era throws as hard as he does. He's sitting 96-9 this year, unprecedented for a left-handed starter. And we know that the, his, his sort of suite of curveball, slider, changeup plays off of it and right now the league is batting 121, 136, 181 against it. I'm so impressed with that program. I'm so impressed with this kid. And I think pitch for pitch, he throws, he throws as hard as any lefty starter I've ever seen. You think it's sustainable? No. Are you kidding? This kid's, this kid's going to have to get surgery twice probably. But look, <laughs> look, this is the nature of the business. If you want to have your, your, young, you know, your kids in, your one tw- in, your, in their young 20s blowing cheese, right, and, and, and maxing out through five innings, and you're going to have to deal with the consequences. I love the arm. I actually think uh, Shane Boz, who's you know the, the righty in their system, yeah. um, who's, who's going to be coming up shortly, is even more talented. These guys just replenish better than any team in the sport. I don't think you guys, I don't think the A's are too far behind the Rays right now. And getting back up there, I think it's just going to take them a, a year or two. But right now, the, the premium talent the Rays have on that roster is just ridiculous. I mean, this kid's 25. He's sitting 97, and he's probably going to be the second best pitcher on that roster next year. What they're doing is just silly. You know. It reminds me of former A, former Ray. I guess he'd be a devil Ray, would be Scott Kazmir. If you remember, Scott Kazmir was just blowing smoke left-handed when he was with the Rays, uh-huh. and then all of a sudden, but came back, went to the Sugarland Skeeters, learned how to pitch, and became an all-star with the A's. And that's the thing that if you've got a guy that's a fireballer as a left-hander and then loses it, you got a better chance that he can still be good with his breaking stuff, off-speed stuff, moving the ball around as a left-hander than you really do as a right-handed guy who's all about fastball. He loses it. Most of the time, he's done. With the lefty, he can learn to dial back and pitch and still win games for you. I agree. And the thing that impressed me about this kid is that not only is he sitting 97, it's that he has a legit three-pitch like, – excuse me, a legit four-pitch mix. He, he, he is – at last check, he was one of three pitchers this year – that threw at least 100 change-ups, curveballs, and sliders. I mean, think about that. This kid's a 25-year-old starter, so getting his feet wet in the big leagues, and he's commanding four pitches. You just don't see it very often. So I don't know, like, what kind of sustainability this has, but I know, like, if I'm, if I'm, you know, you know, facing the Rays and like that, you know, the best of three wild card round, I want nothing to do with the kid. Nothing to do with him. All right. So uh, we saw him early this season. And and by the way, his arm, you're just like, wow, that's, I mean, God touched this vicious. There's (laughs) no question about that. You did not like this big debut for the Orioles. Uh, Number one pick Oregon state. What was the problem? You did. I did a whole thing on it about uh, his first game. Got a base hit old Adley comes to town. And uh, what did you have a problem with? Well, aside from him, obviously now being immediately better than Mickey Cochran and any number of Hall of Fame catchers that have gone before him, um, my big problem with it is that the A, excuse me, the Orioles elected to give him number thirty-five. Now, in case you're not intimately familiar with the Baltimore Orioles uniform number assignments, Mike Mussina wore number thirty-five. Mike Mussina wore number thirty-five for the better part of ten years with the Orioles. Mike Mussina is in the Hall of Fame. Naturally, does not have his number retired, you know, with the Orioles for some inexplicable reason. And in some sense, I think you could probably argue, given the fact that they're giving number 35 to their stud catcher, and that they're conceding the opportunity to ever retire Mike Mussina's number, which is, to me, categorically outrageous. So I grew up a, 
I, I was born in Baltimore and was a fan of the team until I was about 10 years old. Mike Mussina was the first great pitcher I ever really enjoyed watching. He's the second best pitcher in the history of the franchise behind Jim Palmer. It is absurd if they're still harboring ill feelings from Mike Mussina for, for leaving to go pitch for the Yankees. Totally absurd. And I was able to actually go back and, and find that since the year 1940, there are 106 instances in which a Hall of Fame player spent at least 10 seasons with the team, as Mike Mussina did. A hundred of those players have had their number retired. Mussina is one of six that haven't. And others on that list include Jim Cott, who just got in the Hall of Fame that's going to get his number retired this year. Gil Hodges, whom you can say the same about. Joe Morgan, who is much more associated with the Reds than the Astros. In other words, yeah. there's just very little precedent, if, if, if none, frankly, for a team <laughs> acting in this kind of way to a Hall of Famer in their midst. It's just sort of, it's sort of bizarre. Like, I'm, I'm as excited about Adley Rushman as everyone else. Although the, the hype sort of nauseated me to a, to a small degree. Although, look, I mean, what else do the Orioles have to root for this year? Aside from watching 400 footballs in the left field, you know, die in, uh, in a warning trap. But look, Mike Messina's number should be retired. That's what I'm saying. I'm I i saying. I'm wondering, and, and, you know, the Peter Angelos crew that was there when Musina was there. I don't know what the turnover is. I mean, we, we hardly deal with the Orioles all that much. How many of the Angelos people are still there? Because they would be they would be the only ones that would be still mad that he went to New York, right? If there's a new crop, why would they care? Yeah, but all it takes is one. All it takes is one, and they can get passed out easily enough. Look, I, I don't know if this was done intentionally or not, but it seems kind of obvious to me. There's there, there's 99 other options. Like let's 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 be sensible with our choice here. Another example from this list of mine is the Mariners. Uh, Randy Johnson used 51. So did each row. They'll retire that number someday too. So like, look, and, in other words, any Hall of Famer that made a contribution of this size has gotten their number retired flat out. So to me, there's just no obvious reason why the Orioles would elect to do this. I think it makes them look petty. I think it makes them look stupid. And I think Mike Mussina is a player worthy of recognition. And if there's any, you know, sort of ill will or, or, or hard feelings over something that happened in 2000, like I think you guys got to get over yourself. Uh, Trevor Story, a.k.a. Carl Crawford, is starting to hit now for the Bow Sox. But Xander Bogarts, what do you got on him? So I would describe Xander Bogarts as brilliantly boring, or perhaps boringly brilliant, if that's even a word. And you know what? Who, and by the way, as someone, when you cover a team every single day, you love that guy. Mm, yeah, Xander Bogarts can hit with his eyes closed. I mean, what we have now is a durable track record that say this guy is just a great hitter and there's no way around it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read for you the entire list of players who do each of these last two things over the last five seasons. Again, a durable sample size here. Hit 300, slug 500. If you can do one, you're a good hitter. If you can do both, you're a great hitter. The list is this. Mike Trout, Freddie Freeman, Xander Bogarts. That's the list, okay? Wow. So we're talking about a player. That's the list. We're talking about a player <laughs> who has a premium bat, who can fake it in the middle of the diamond, who can easily move to third base or second base and potentially play gold glove defense as soon as they decide to do that. And regardless of what Trevor Story has done in the last week, if he got 140, Bogarts is worth 280. Trevor Story is not half the ball player Xander Bogarts is. Look at what the Rangers just gave Marcus Semien, who can't – I mean, Marcus Semien, by the way, would fit great in the A's lineup this year. But look, look at what they just gave Marcus Semien, 175. Xander Bogarts is, like, play, like at-bat for at-bat, game for game. That guy's Manny Machado good. In fact, he's a little better, just a little bit better. We're talking about a long period of time in which he has been healthy, on the field. He's got 85 extra base hits at the shortstop in 2019. 
He's a freaking great hitter. Look at the contract Mike Trout plays on, and look at the contract Freddie Freeman uh, plays on. Xander Bogarts is, for my money, worth in excess of $200 million, and you could make a cogent argument that he's worth closer to three. Now, are we talking Marcus Simeon with the A's or Blue Jays would fit good in the A's lineup, or the Marcus Simeon with the Texas Rangers right now? I mean, Marcus Simeon would be your cleanup hitter right now. Is he up to 160 yet? Where is Marcus right now? He, he, he is legitimately. I, I was doing the research last Horrible. week. Horrible. He was the worst hitter in baseball among qualifiers. I mean, just, like, but look. This, this is He's hitting 182. Yeah, actually, he fit right hitter. in. It sounds like an was, Oakland A already. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he, he leads the league in ERA with through his batting average. So, look, look, um, here's my thing on big contracts, not to, get, not to go off on a spiel here. If I'm giving someone a nine-figure contract, I need to know one of two things. A, you're a pitcher that could go to the Hall of Fame someday. Or B, you can hit with your eyes closed. Marcus Simeon has had two – Two above-average hitting seasons in his major league career, and he got $175 million. Ancillary skills don't last. Fielding doesn't matter. Running doesn't matter. Intangibles don't matter when, over the course of a long period of time in which attrition is going to happen and noisiness is going to affect the way that you can do those kinds of things. What matters is can you hit? Can you get the barrel to the baseball, and can you control the strike zone? And in the case of Mar- uh, Marcus Simeon, the answer, at least by and large, if you look at his career in totality, is kind of. But it's not, you know, it's, it's most definitely not $175 million. Yes, that's what he got. That might wind up being one of the worst contracts ever. Can I ask you a, a talk shop inside ESPN question? Yeah, hit me. All right, with the Golden State Warriors about to go to the NBA Finals, does ESPN allow you guys to talk basketball since LeBron James is not in the postseason? <laughs> that's hard hitting Look, right there. Hey, listen, listen. You're coming at the wrong show because today we, we no look we snuck in the Lakers today because Jawan Howard oh. turned them down. All right, so so you are look you're barking up the wrong tree here. The Lakers were in the rundown yesterday, and I'd be willing to bet that we find a way to get the Lakers in the rundown tomorrow. Don't look, oh ye of little faith, don't you doubt the Get Up Production crew? Uh, how many times did you mention Tom Brady today? Oh, only a dozen. Yeah. You no. Know? I so, mean, it's 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 May. What do you expect? We can't we can't do the whole show on Brady. Got to get Brady. Got to get LeBron. And really, it's not really Lakers anymore. It's just where is LeBron? And Marcus Semien. Like we're just going down the list here, making sure we hit all the hit all the stars. We said hit all the stars. All right. So here's what you need to do. You just need to make a list of questions that you have about twins, basically from the hospital to the house, getting started, how to swaddle. How to how to get him to go to bed every night? I will have the my wife was the twin whisperer. I will have everything that you need. I appreciate that very much. Before before you let me go, I don't know how much more time we have, but I did have a bone to pick with your producer, the the esteemed Cody Alonso. Oh, by the way, when when you said Mike Musina and retired Jersey, you're talking about a man who is very good friends with Ben McDonald. So this is you want to talk about great Oriole. The fact that you didn't bring up Big Ben, it, it offends him. Honestly, Cody, I'm offended that friend of Ben McDonald is not the eighth line in your email signature. So to, so to take everything have enough room here for just a moment, what just ca- if you don't mind. Just are we, are we, what me. camera angles are we on right now? We, so, we, we have, you have the one with me back in it. By the way, what do you think of the set? <laughs> I don't know. I'm seeing you twice, and I'm seeing Cody once, and that's, that's bad all the way around. <laughs> what do you think of all the A's, Chotskys, and jerseys? And... I, I think – 
I think it has a lot of potential. I like the desk. I think the wall has has room for improvement. I think there needs to be a Traeger ad somewhere though, so that you can find some sponsors <laughs> right here, there, right directly here, behind you. Yeah, All right. Um, it'll hashtag Sunday Smoke or, or something. But has Cody filled you in on this bone and a half to pick with him? Yeah, something about his, his signature on his email. Just quickly here. So this is a pet peeve of mine, and then I'll and then I'll finally let you guys go and be done with listening to me rant and rave. So. In a corporate setting, like it's common to have an email signature in which you put your name, your contact information, and generally speaking, something that you do. In the case of Cody, Cody's email signature is seven, seven lines long. Seven? It includes, it includes 22 data points. <laughs> so, like, if you go to Cody Elias's uh, email, he has his name, his position, his cell, the, the Oakland A's listed as if we don't know that. The name of the stadium, Oakland Coliseum, with the address in case someone wants to mail him something. And then hyperlinks to the web, tickets, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Cody, has there ever been an instance in the history of your emailing time with the A's that someone has examined your email and and then checked the A's LinkedIn page? <laughs> <laughs> uh, let, let, let me take a second to retort. Yeah. Now, when I first joined the organization in 2019, I copied what everyone else was doing on their email signatures. And they all had all those data points on there, so I just did the same thing. And then I never thought to myself, that is really long. And then you brought it – you're the first person that I that has ever mentioned it to me. And now I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take this off. I ended it where it just says Oakland Athletics. Although, if I'm sending you an email from the – wait for it, Elias at athletics.com, I'm sending it to you from the Oakland Athletics. So I should probably take that off as well. Chris, one more thing. I, I didn't re- – I'm looking at it now. Yeah, so, like, is, if it – if anybody looks at your email, like they're really going to go, oh, I'm going to click on the Instagram page. Like, what? Uh, I don't know. People, maybe people want to see Beyond that. And then why also, do you have all the World Series years on here? Everyone does. Really? Yeah, Listen. most people in the organization have that same thing. Hey, 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 Himbo, C Townsend at athletics.com. I got nothing. You just get, Listen, you, you get, you, you may get a sentence out of me. How, Cody? Are you taking credit for the 1911 championship? Like, <laughs> are you on Connie Mack's staff? It's unbelievable. You have nine years listed. You have one, two, three, four. Yeah, you have all the years listed of your World Series championship. Like, you're get, are, you, are you getting? Are you are you getting hundred thousand dollar infield shares? Like, wait, 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 wait. What year? Wait, what year were you born? 1988. <laughs> He was barely born for what he was. The, the he was he was born for the '89. He was born in '88. Not all the rest of the World Series. He wasn't even born. This is out. This no. This thing is absolutely outrageous. So what we need to do, Cody, is 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 trim the fat to a large degree. Now, obviously, this gives me the opportunity to to apply for a job on on the A's LinkedIn page because it seems <laughs> it seems that uh, the IT group needs some assistance here. But look, I just found this to be. Utterly obnoxious. And the fact that you're claiming any credit for the 1910 World Series is just beyond me. Hey, you know what's going to be the best is when I make him put – when your book comes out, we're going to put yes. a link to your book on his <laughs> – on his. Yeah, we need a 23rd item. I'm going pretty slowly, but I, I will have some news to share hopefully at some point in the near I mean, seriously, I not... how long have we been talking about this book? <laughs> I, I started working on it in earnest two and a half years ago. I It's, it's, so. it's about it, – it's one of the – there's one thing that he and I go – if there's one one topic on this show that we go rabbit hole, it's Hall of Fame. We've been waiting for your book. 
Well, I think it's going to be a little while longer. I think my interrupt in September is going to have a is going to be a big reason why that book might come out years later than expected. Well, I just want to know when we when you do do it. Let me know how my good friend Eddie Collins has done over his career because you know I was there for all those yeah, World Series. Yeah, is, uh, Joe McGinnity has any uh, has any stake in the game here? So you guys are the best. Well, I mean, when you're talking Lefty Grove, I mean, we could go all day. <laughs> well, by the way, my favorite Connie Mack fact of all time: Connie Mack. And Vin Scully um, had, actually had one overlapping season in baseball in 1950. <laughs> Vin Scully, Vin Scully would, would, would wind up uh, broadcasting for the next 67 years. Connie Mack was born during the Civil War. <laughs> <laughs> he overlapped with Vin Scully is my, for, for the first whatever it was, like for, for this incredibly long period of time, 100-some years or whatever it was. One of those two guys that's in baseball. I mean, they, you, Co- you, you grew up in Philly, right? Mm-hmm. Can you imagine in, in the in the height of summer and the humidity, Connie Mack day games wearing a three piece suit? I want to see. I want to see Kotze do that. Like, oh, I, I we, we, the, the A's and the, and the Phillies played uh, at the very start of the season, so he missed the chance there. But I feel like that needs to be done. Like that needs to be. You know, when when all the teams are wearing the throwback unis. Like, I want to see – I mean, it's ridiculous. I, I don't – so many of these managers look very unflattering in baseball pants. So, I mean, you might as well go three-piece, top hat, and do it properly. Because, like, I don't, it would be – I mean, not everyone can look like Joe Girardi. Like, by the end, Joe Torrey was looking raggedy, bro. Like, I don't want to see him wearing this <laughs> – like, he, he doesn't – like, I don't, I don't want to see cellulite on my manager. Um, <laughs> and, that's, and that's what we were getting there by the end, poor guy. Hembo, you are the best, my friend. You be well. We always appreciate the time. And seriously, send me those questions. I'll get them all answered for the Twins. And and let us know as we get closer because you know you got to get a special present from your friends here on A's Cast Live. You got it. And for their 10th birthday, perhaps I'll send you a copy of my book, which will be done in eight years. And then next thing you know, you'll come on again for the second book once they graduate from school. <laughs> which I won't be able to afford. <laughs> Take care. Peace. The great Paul Himbakides from Get Up on ESPN, top researcher, now a uh, longtime talent. Uh, he's the best. I've missed him. Well, I say it all the time. Everybody knows how much we love MLB Network, and we have all their personalities on. But my favorite by far, and it's been a while. We haven't talked to him since the winter meetings in San Diego because I don't think anybody on the network can break it down the way he does. Dan O'Dowd is with us here once again on A's Cast Live. How have you been? It's been a while. Well, it has been. Thank you so much for having me on. I love talking to you guys. The re- the truth of this is I was supposed to be on 30 minutes for- prior to this call, so uh, I owe you some extra time on this one. So I appreciate it. Love having you on, and I look forward to our conversation. Bottom line, if this is Brian Kinney, I would have been out of here already hitting golf balls. But for you, I'll, re- I'll wait around all day. Well, I wouldn't even ask for Brian to come on. So that would have been a good – that would be a good start to begin with. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I- I've always appreciated about you on MLB Network, and just because of my relationship with Billy Bean, I've known Billy really well since uh, – you know, going back to he got the gig in the 90s, you know, David Force has been around for yep. so long with our organization. I know how hard your guy's job is. And the one thing I think the perspective, you know, we love listening to ex-players. We like listening to these guys in the media. 
but someone like yourself, you truly understand what it's like, the business of baseball, how to build teams. When you look at your role with the network, how do you go about it? Because you bring something, a, a skill set, really. I mean, John Hart pops on every once in a while, but you bring a skill set that no one else has. Yeah, you know, it's unique. I mean, we're all a byproduct of our life experiences. Even as a GM, my life experience in the markets that I was in will be different from other GMs in the markets and the ownership groups they've been around. What, what I try to do, though, from day one is be transparent with my thoughts, um, recognizing, as you said, how difficult the job is, uh, but also, you know, calling it as I see it based upon how I look at it, which doesn't make it be right, but it's simply you know, my thoughts on a given area. I've never done the job trying to position myself to do another job in the game. I try to be as honest and forthright with my opinions and recognizing that there are going to be some people that accept that and, and understand where I'm coming from. Some will get angry. But people like Billy, who's a dear friend of mine too, he, he'll get that. He'll get, you know, that, uh, you know, Dan is speaking from the heart about how he looks at a particular situation and what his thoughts are on it. I always wanted to the viewer or the audience to come away with a feeling that I'm, I'm being authentic with them right or wrong. I'm trying to be as authentic as possibly can. You know, and you think about the situation, you know, you understand what you've done in your career when you're a team trying to get a new ballpark, building a new ballpark, as you did all those years in Cleveland, you know, where Billy and David are right now is such a tough situation because all of these years of trying to win and winning, but it's always the unknown, right? There's always the carrot out there about the new ballpark, the new ballpark. Now we talk about a parallel path of either Oakland or Las Vegas. Just talk about four billion, David, just how tough the job is right now to run the Oakland athletics. I mean, I, I look at it this way. Um, Billy and David have done something that is really unheard of the game. I know that they haven't gone to a World Series or won a World Series, which, by the way, I, I don't think is any indication of the quality of a front office within our game because there's skill and luck involved in postseason because of the shorter sample sizes. They've had plenty of teams that could have gone on and won the World Series. Saying that, though, that Billy and David up to this year, every single year, no matter what the circumstances are, always, for the most part, put a very competitive product on the field. They never went back to the foundation roots of tearing something down completely and building it from scratch. I mean, you look at the careers of other executives in the game, and, and no deference or criticism of them at all, but I look at Theo Epstein, went to Boston, won left. He went to Chicago, won left. David Dombrowski won in Miami, left to go to Detroit, won in Detroit, left to go to Boston, one in Boston now is in Philadelphia. You know, there's a, a litany of executives that have won in a given place and then chosen to leave. And that's because, guys, it is so hard to, to rebuild an organization to, to get to the point where you're going to win and then have to tear it somewhat down again and try to win again. It's, it's emotionally hard. It's physically draining. It's you lose political capital within the, the structure and the environment that you're in and the marketplace you're in. So what David and Billy have been able to accomplish year after year for me is a testimony of how good they are, what they do. I think Billy Bean is a Hall of Famer for me. I don't care if he's never won a World Series. I truly feel Billy is a slam dunk Hall of Famer because I think he's changed the way people look at the game. 
I think Dayton Moore is going through that now in Kansas City. They won, He went through this massive rebuild. They won in Kansas City. Now he's trying to rebuild it again, and it's just hard. And the other part makes it so difficult is that your life experience in the game teaches you, okay, in this given situation, we should look at this a certain way. But the game is changing and evolving all the time. And so you have to constantly change and evolve with it. And even though your experience plays a role, your ability to adapt to a current environment is just, it's really challenging. And, I, you know, Billy, after doing it for so many years, I'm just, I'm humbled um, how he has been able to stick with it. I'm sure having David by his side makes it a little bit easier, but it's still really challenging for those two guys. And this is the first time that I can recall that they've ever really gone into a rebuild. And uh, I'm sure it's painful because no matter how long you've been in the game, losing stinks, period. You know, in the offseason, Perry Manassian, the general manager of the Angels, talked about how the average team will use 13 starters in a season. And I was like, wow. And then I'm looking at the MLB Network notes yesterday, and Detroit Detroit has now tied the Rays, and the Rays obviously with a lot of the openers, but – Detroit and the Rays have already at the quarter pole used 11 different starters. And I'm thinking, how big can this number get? You're only, I mean, you got a 40 man roster. You can only get so many guys to the big leagues. Like what are we talking about here with the amount of starters people are going to use in a season? And the number one question for you is, is this sustainable? No, it's not. And um, the Tigers have in a year when their offense hasn't performed at all, but I mean, they based their foundation on their young starting pitching, you know, Mize, Manning, Scooble, and all of them are hurt right now. And um, it just shows you, you know, Kansas City based their rebuild on all the young starting pitching that they drafted, Coar, you know, Lynch, Singer. And pitching is really, really volatile, and it's really unpredictable. You know, guys, we live in an industry where velocity now makes up so much of how we value players. I just don't think velocity, the way it's construed in today's game, is sustainable within the pitcher ability to stay healthy. I just don't think it's possible. And I don't, I don't think these things are going to change until the industry puts some more emphasis on command control, working quickly on the mound, strike throwing ability, changing speeds, pitching in the context of your delivery, and not being max effort on every single pitch. I just don't think the body is uh, structured the way it is to – you know, withstand the amount of velocity and the max effort tied to that velocity that we're currently seeing in the game. So I don't think it's sustainable. Yeah, and it's just sad hearing about all the surgeries and kids are getting, you know, growing up as a pitcher myself and I ended up pitching in college, you know, none of us had Tommy John surgery. And the amount of kids that are, and I mean kids, kids under 18 having Tommy John surgery is absolutely alarming. I want to get to bullpens because – you know, I, I know with Oakland, I know you can say this with a lot of other teams. I, I forgot sakes, Philadelphia. You know, there's years where we go, hey, this is going to be a strength for us coming out of spring training, coming out of Mesa, Arizona. And then all of a sudden it's it's a dumpster dive. Why is it so <laughs> hard to build a bullpen consistently? Well, again, it's, a, it's the biggest area of volatility uh, on your roster building process. And bullpen arms are more unpredictable than any other um, projection, performance projection of any other uh, subset on your team for the simple reason. Most bullpen guys are guys that have been failed starters. Not failed, but their their pitch mix and their ability to 
you know, throw more than two pitches or command their fastball exceptionally well. And then we've gotten into a game now where um, pitch tunneling and pitch selection has become and pitch shaping has become such a part of the dialogue. I mean, there's more breaking ball pitches thrown in our game than fastballs anymore. And the amount of stress that you're putting on the arm to be able to throw high-velocity sliders, for examples, is incredible. Now, topple that with usage patterns of bullpens year in and year out where guys are throwing a ton of max effort pitches in high leverage situations so there's a tremendous amount of stress level and the workload is enormous. Like I, Tampa's done an incredible job with their bullpens year in and year out. Look at the amount of injuries of players that they had in that bullpen just two years ago or three years ago. Um, they, they can't sustain health. There's just no way to sustain health. At this level of velocity, the amount of, of, of dynamic breaking balls are now throwing in the game and the way they're being used and the amount of innings and pitches they're being asked to suck up through the course of a, a 1,440 inning pitch season. It's just, it, it's impossible for one health, number two, the sustainability of the performance because of those factors. Don't forget, you can watch Dan across MLB Network's programming, including the MLB Draft Combine coming up on June 16th and 17th in San Diego. I love talking about the business of baseball with you because you get it because a lot of people just look at baseball as players and the players' numbers, and that's why I bring up Juan Soto. I live in Silicon Valley. I grew, you know, I've been around. I've been here watching Silicon Valley right. grow for all these years, right? So – when people tell me about Juan Soto and how much that he is worth, I just go, listen, baseball, where it's going now, I believe we're a content platform now. That's why Apple, Peacock, right. Amazon, Hulu, they just, they need games, they need programming. So if you're going to tell me one player is worth $500 million, I'm like, what's the return on investment? The days of your cable deals are going away. I understand he's great. You can compare him to Ted Williams or whatever, but how can one player generate that much revenue for you? Is it possible? Is anybody really worth that kind of money? Can that player give you the return on investment? Well, I think if you look at it historically, Jeff, the bottom line is, is that anytime you have uh, 25% of your payroll tied up into any more than three players, those teams rarely ever, if at all, win at the major league level. So he is only as he's a great player, but it's it's the the total asset allocation of payroll. So if you take a model that you're going to spend 50% of your revenue on um, on on major league payroll, and Juan Soto hypothetically is going to take up 50 million of that. Say it's a 10-year deal at 50 million dollars a year. Then you're you're ultimately you're going to have to have a revenue base that your 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 payroll is going to have to be pushing somewhere between 350 and 400 million dollars to be able to put a model in place where his particular salary doesn't destroy your capability of surrounding him with 24 other or 25 other players that allows you to ultimately have sustained success. You know, I'm not saying that he's not that valuable. All I'm saying is that in context to the development of a team, it's really, really problematic to pay any player that large a percentage of your overall payroll. Again, unless your payroll capabilities 
are through the roof, and we've never seen those type of consistent payrolls or if at all in our in the history of our game. We'll play both sides of it. If you have him as the player or you're the GM that wants to acquire him, what do you think he's worth and how would you handle it? Well, the closer they get to his free agency years, his worth is going down dramatically. If the Washington baseball team, the Nationals, do not feel they can sign him, they're faced with a crippling decision. And I say this, you could trade Juan Soto for the greatest group of prospects that there is in the game. And more than likely, none of those prospects will ever come close to generating the type of war value that he can in your roster construction. Saying that, if you have no capabilities of signing him to the, the dollars that you mentioned or anything close to that, then you have to build your team in the aggregate. You have to be able to say, okay, how many good young players can we get back? How many do we feel has a chance to turn impact? How many do we feel are a chance to be solid contributors? And then how do we allocate the rest of the resources to build a 26-man roster that can compete for a championship without having that particular individual be one of the best players on that roster. If you're the acquiring club, you have to go through that same exact thought process. You know, I look at what the A's got back, for example, for Matt Olson. And if, if and, and everybody kept talking about how Alex Anthropoulos made a great deal because you got great young player, Matt Olson. You got him signed to what I feel is a very fair contract for his capabilities. But I look at it, the talent level that he gave up, Shane Lagaliers right now, I can make an argument, is the best catching prospect in the game of baseball. His value to the Oakland A's over the next seven years, um, depending upon service time issues, six to seven years, is absolutely enormous. If Pache figures out how to hit, because his defensive war is like one of the best in the game, the value that they got back from Matt Olson when the Braves could have signed Freddie Freeman almost to the identical dollar amount. Uh, again, I know the dynamics of the, of the negotiations or the relationships that took place in there. I'm looking at it going, oh my God, I would have much rather held on to that talent and signed Freddie Freeman, even if I've got to eat a back end of that deal, that maybe his value is not what it is in the first four years of that deal. And so I thought the A's, for example, got enormous value back as they construct their club moving forward because they have two catchers right now that are legitimate all-star type catchers at the most demanding, hard-to-acquire position within the game. So either guy could turn into multiple other assets for them at some point in time if they choose to go down that path. So I'm trying to use that comparison in the same way. You've got to get so much more back than Soto Soto is such the, even a better player uh, than Matt Olson. That's why these deals are really, really difficult to come by. Let's end on this. If you ever thought about coming back again and you've been sitting out of the game, you've been watching everybody operate, you, you, you see how the markets change, how philosophies change, what's the one thing that you think you would say, I'm going to do this and that's why I would be successful versus the other 29 teams. What have you seen maybe something in the market you could manipulate? Honestly, I think all the clubs recognize it. Um, I'm just not sure all of them know how to do it. And it, looking back at my career, I'm hypercritical of everything that I did well and certainly even more hypercritical of all the things I did poorly. 
But the one thing that I, I always felt like there was a competitive advantage, and to this day, I still feel there's a competitive advantage. If you can scout well and you can develop better, no matter what the limitations that you may have at your major league level, you will be very successful. And I think there's more competitive bandwidth right now in the development process of our game than ever before because there is a, there would be an opportunity to take what I call instinctive intelligence. So instinctive intelligence is you. You've spent all your, your life around the game. You, you've played it. You've studied it. You watch it. You comprehend it. You apply it. You, there's, there's a way to take a group of men with, or women with incredible instinctive intelligence, combine that with intellectual intelligence that exists now within our game, but I wouldn't want it to exist in our game to the point that that now that instinctive, I mean, that intellectual intelligence groups makes up the bulk of the decisions within the front office without the balance of an instinctive intelligence group, making sure that the direction that the one group provides leads to the proper decision in each and every player. The bottom line is what's never going to change about the game is the clubs and the individuals involved in those clubs if you select the right players and you put them in a world-class development process, I have absolutely no doubt you can win and you can sustain winning. Look at the Astros. They lose George Springer. They've got Kyle Tucker. They lose Correa. They've got Pena. They lose Cole. They lose Greinke. They've got Valdez. They've got Urquidy. They've got Garcia, et cetera, et cetera. Look at the Dodgers. They lose players. They plug other young players in. And those, those are clubs with very large payrolls. So if you scout players well and you develop them exceptionally well, you can turn what I call um, value players into contributors and contributed players into impact players and impact players into sustainable impact players. That'll never change in the game. It's just the ability to do that even better now than when I was running teams, for me, gives you a huge competitive advantage uh, within this industry right now. Absolute radio gold. It doesn't get any better than that. I got to tell you, it is always an honor to have you on the program. You know we will be watching. Uh, appreciate your time. You be well, and let's talk soon. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, now joining joining us here on A's Cast Live, you know he's one of our favorites. We bring up his podcast, Baseball Tonight, all the time. It's the we like to call ourselves the number one podcast for teams, but the number one podcast in our sport, no question. Buster Olney is your host. Buster, we love reading you. We love listening to you every day. It's been a while. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, you know, almost a quarter of the way into the season, having fun. Great storylines all over the place. How are you doing? Good, good. What do you think of our new set here? It's beautiful. I love, you know, there's a part of me, I must say, because you've got that, uh, I grew up, you know, I'm, I'm colorblind. And I grew <laughs> up as, in the 70s collecting helmets. And the cool thing is, even though being colorblind, I can see really deep colors like deep green and deep gold and deep red. Mm-hmm. And so I loved as a kid, the Oakland helmet. You know, uh, and I pretend that I would be Bill North 
yeah. or one of those guys, you know, diving head first, stealing bases. And so your set is so great because the colors for me as a colorblind person are vibrant. I know. Uh, I, it's, I've always loved the A's colors because of that. It makes you think of Sal Bando and Gene Tennis and Burt Campanaris. I mean, we have their bobbleheads here, but that t- this helmet right here just screams 70s. Right. Uh, Joe Rudy. You know, the only part of me that's a little better was that I grew up a Dodger fan. Yeah. And so I've got 1974 all over my memory. <laughs> uh, you know, they, they lose the Dodgers lose four games to one. The only game they win uh, when Mike Marshall picks off Herb Washington at first base in that game. Uh, I, you know, I wish that World Series turned out, out better. But that when we have those conversations about what was the greatest team ever, that team has to be in that talk. So we're at that quarter pole where you've played 40-something games for, for all the teams in baseball. And you really can kind of sit back and say, okay, who are we now and where do we need to go what are the biggest stories for you so far at this quarter poll? Well, first and foremost, uh, I think the the Mets have taken a big step forward this year. You know, the surge of that team with Steve Cohen, their owner. Uh, they go out and spend all that money to get Max Scherzer and Starling Marte and Eduardo Escobar, uh, Mark Canna, change the culture of that team. And even though they have injuries now to Scherzer as well as to Grom, the expectation is they're going to be one of the most aggressive teams. And I'm, you know, as someone who's worked in New York a long time, I'm fascinated with the dynamic that's going to develop between Steve Cohen and Hal Steinbrenner, who's never really had a team on the other side of the city to challenge him. So when Juan Soto becomes a free agent down, you know, in the years ahead, the pressure that's going to be on Hal is going to be very different. So that's going to be fun. Uh, Aaron Judge. You know, betting on himself so big before the start of the season. And to see him, as you and I speak, he's on a pace to hit 66 homers. Wow. I think that bet, you know, that uh, you know, that that bet's absolutely fantastic. And you just, you know, individuals around the game. Manny Machado having a great season down in San Diego, uh, emerging as an offensive player in a way that I certainly didn't anticipate. Um, you know, all of that is really fun. You know, we've seen a lot of great one-two punches, Hall of Famers in the same lineup together. Uh, it's happened throughout baseball. But I made this point the other day because, of course, we, we've, we've had to take on the Angels a couple times. With Trout and Otani, both healthy at the same time, and you think of what Otani is as an offensive player, as a pitcher, Trout's an all-time great. I just think as a one-two punch, I was trying to figure out, like here in the Bay Area, you had Mays and McCovey, but I'm talking about an entertainment factor. I don't know if we have ever seen a one-two punch with the entertainment factor. We're in the entertainment business. The inter- entertainment factor of Trout and Otani since maybe Ruth and Garrick. How do you feel about the one-two punch in Anaheim? I, I don't think Ruth and Garrick, and I, this is going to feel like sacrilege, I don't think Ruth and Garrick are close to what these two guys are. Yeah. Because we've never seen anybody like Otani. You know, last year when we had the conversation about who should be MVP of the American League and people would cite Vlad Jr.'s uh, numbers, and, and I'd go, yeah, that's all nice, but no one's ever done what Shohei Otani has done. Joe Madden, the Angels manager, told me last year, you know, this is something we may never see again in our lifetime or in, in three lifetimes, in 100 years. Uh, and here's the thing, Otani's backing it up. Like, we're seeing... <laughs> 
him build the foundation to another season like he had last year. And oh, by the way, if we want to say that Otani is Batman, the Robin might be the best player in the history of baseball (laughs) in Trout. No one's done what Trout has done early in in his career. It's great to see him healthy. uh, And it's fun the possibility that we might actually get to see Mike Trout in a postseason on a, on a big stage. I think he would thrive. I think Otani would thrive. That is a fun team to watch. There's no doubt about it. Well, they're going with the six-man rotation, something that I'm really looking at this year as now we're going to go down to 13 pitchers, but we're already starting to see it, right? You've seen the Tigers and the Rays use 11 different starters. We've heard that the average team will use 13 in a year, and you just think you only have so many pitchers. You only have so many guys in the minor leagues. I mean, what what is the average team going to use in starters this year, and is this sustainable? I think that once you get to 13 pitchers, that becomes a great a, a question that takes on more weight, right? Early on, because we had the lockout, uh, teams were able to carry extra pitchers. You know, they extended the deadline on that, and, and teams haven't felt the stress of that yet. And, and we saw last year, I think Milwaukee was really the first team that showed the potential of using a six-man staff. You know, they rested their guys on a regular basis. And let's face it, for the most part, have limited their starters to six innings. And it's worked. But, you know, Craig Council, the Brewers manager, and I had a conversation early in the year. And he talked about that, like, boy, once you get to 13 pitchers, it becomes a different math equation. Um, I don't know if it's it's sustainable. But here's the thing. The teams now have turned so many pitchers from uh, marathoners into sprinters. I don't know if they're going to have a choice to do anything but constantly rotate those 12th and 13th spots on their on their pitching staffs uh, with guys in the minor leagues. So you might have your core of, you know, six starters or five starters and then rotate one up from the minor leagues. And then you have your group of relievers. Maybe you're rotating somebody else in. But I do think having uh, more pitchers, leaning on more pitchers and having them show uh, take on greater or less responsibility for starters, uh, using six-man staffs, using more relievers, uh, that's just part of where we are in baseball right now. It's part of the reason why offensive numbers are around, are down so much around the game. And humidors. I mean, we, we've talked so yes. much about humidors, or, you know, because – No one knows the answer because in a place like the Bay Area, whether we're talking Oakland or San Francisco, you put a ball in a humidor, it's going to be different to how it reacts in Kansas City or Colorado or Arizona or South Florida or New York. I mean, we we really don't know, do we? San Diego versus Minnesota, like how the ball should react and and how it's different in every city and every climate. You're exactly right. Uh, the composition of the ball, the quality of the baseballs has been so much of a part of the conversation. I'm sorry, sure you saw your old friend Eric Chavez. Yeah. His, uh, his quote earlier in the year where he talked about a conversation among his players, the speculation about whether or not they put in juiced balls into nationally televised games because they want to see more offense. Uh, I, you know, I know baseball officials are driven crazy by that kind of conversation, but I kind of feel like they've earned it yes, (laughs) (laughs) because they've had all those studies done where the baseball has been different from year to year to year. I remember once at an all-star game, 
walking into a conversation inadvertently between Dan Halem, who's the number two official in baseball, and Max Scherzer, who then this last year was ahead of the union, and Max is just going at him. Like, what are you doing with the baseballs? How can you make these changes without approving it? Uh, it, it's a constant conversation. I think it's unfortunate for baseball. I really am looking forward to that time when we can actually assume that the quality of the baseball will be relatively consistent. Because you imagine, like, if the Warriors were playing and on a nightly basis, there was a conversation about whether the ball was too small or too big or, or what the yeah. quality of it was. It only happens in baseball. Oh, the Bay Area would be freaking out. Buster, that'd be right. like, it'd be like saying, okay, the Warriors on a regular night when they're on NBC Sports California playing the Suns and the Suns are on Bally Sports, ah, nobody cares. But if they're on a TNT game, we're now using the ball that goes into the hoop more. People would freak right. out. Right, exactly. You know, instead of the – I remember, uh, you know, when I was in college at Vanderbilt, I played with some of the women's basketball players – and the ba- basketball they would use would always be what for 28 and a half smaller, inches, yeah. 29 and a half. And that thing you could shoot it like crazy. Imagine if that was the conversation is the ball just a little bit smaller for the Warriors and the shooting percentage, it would be crazy. But that's what's going on in baseball, and it really has been going on for four or five years. Speaking of the factory, your alma mater, how about your guy Tony Kemp? Yeah, he he really is you know, become one of my favorite players that I've ever uh, covered in baseball. I got a chance just before the start of the season. This is when the lockout was going on. I went down to Nashville. He was working out at Vanderbilt. And I got a chance to sit and chat with him for 15, 20 minutes. I just love, A, his intensity, and B, his integrity. Uh, And I've always, you know, I knew him when he was in college a little bit. But then when everything happened with the sign stealing in Houston, and to hear the stories afterward. Uh, about how he was one of the guys who told the veterans, I don't want any part of this. I don't want to participate in this. Don't relay the signs. That was so impressive to me. It said so much about him as a person. And I actually, this spring was the first time I got a chance to talk to him about it. Like, how did you as a rookie tell veterans on that team, no, I'm not going to participate? Because you know, and I know, we've been around teams. The idea that a rookie is going to tell a bunch of veterans that says a lot about the person. No, can you imagine having that conversation with Carlos Beltran? Yeah, right, exactly. And someone who, you know, Carlos Beltran on a Hall of Fame trajectory and looking him in the eye or, you know, guys who've been in the big leagues a long time and to to say flat out, nope, not right from the beginning because there were guys on that team who we know after the fact, once they got caught, they were like, well, I didn't really want to get involved. Or, <laughs> no, it wasn't involved. Tony was right from the get-go. Nope, not doing it. Don't ask me. You guys do what you are going to do, but I'm not getting involved. You know, let's end on this. One of the fun things about our game is talking about the individual players, the greatness, as you mentioned, Aaron Judge. I mean, we haven't seen 60 bombs since Sammy Sosa. You know, you think about that or Giancarlo or – but when you talk about the best player in the game, it's amazing. I mean, what we're talking about with Soto and what's going to happen in his future, Machado, what he's doing for our buddy Bob Melvin in San Diego. There are so many great players, and I think more importantly, to get people more interested in our game again, Buster, I think there's so many great athletes that we have in our game. Oh, phenomenal. Uh, you know, Juan Soto, I think you would agree with me in a, in a perfect world in, in a, in a better lineup, 
he probably is the best hitter in baseball, pound for pound, in terms of being like his generation's Ted Williams, uh, Trout, uh, just everything that he can do. He always seems to get better. It's like, you know, his career trajectory is the side of a pyramid. Yeah, tell me about year, it. We got to adjustments. We got to live it. I love Manny Machado's story because I don't know how you felt when he was with the uh, when he was with the Orioles. You thought, okay, the guy's an elite defender. You know, I had conversations with Brooks Robinson about him, how good he could be there. Teammates were telling me how good he could be, but offensively, he'd kind of go up and down. Well, this year with the Padres, he's better than he's ever been. And on top of that, I think the stories you hear about him being a clubhouse leader, about a guy who's setting a tone, that's not something we would have ever envisioned, you know, right up and through his free agency when the question was, how hard does he play? To see him change as a person and as a leader and as a player, that's really neat. So far this year, he's been the best player in baseball. But as you say, there are a lot of guys who could win that title by the time we get to the finish line. You know, everybody has their job and their role inside Major League Baseball. And MLB.com and MLB Network, we understand what they're trying to do and what they mean to the game. But still, ESPN, what you guys do from a journalism standpoint, the writing that we get on ESPN.com, and I think kind of the responsibility you have with your podcast is to still, you know, talk about the game, the good, bad, and the ugly, promote it, and also dissect it and say what needs to change. Uh, do you still feel that responsibility? I know we don't have baseball tonight like we used to uh, on ESPN, but what you do with the podcast and what you do with the writing, I mean, still us baseball fans go for you, go to you for the truth. Uh, and I appreciate that, um, you know, because I, I and I that's always been my goal as a reporter. I believe that uh, the truth needs to be the absolute foundation of everything that we do. I personally, for example, this week, we had the whole thing with Josh Donaldson. I like Josh personally. Uh, I think, he, you know, I admire him as a player. I love the changes he made in his career. And I thought he made a mistake on Saturday with Tim Anderson with what he said. And I thought it was a mistake, not the next day. Just come out and say, you know what? I've heard the voices. I messed up. And, and I'm going to do better going forward. And, and if I saw Josh today, I would say that to him. And I think you would agree with me. There are a lot of – there are a lot of uh, – Entities where you can't necessarily get that. So I appreciate the words. Well, I, I say it all the time. And just to, you know what fans we are, we steal from you all the time. So <laughs> we right. listen. And that's the best compliment that you can have. And I wish I could steal your studio. Oh my God, all that green and gold. I love it. Well, you know, we'll send pictures because we finally got a approved by Major League Baseball starting Thursday we can do this live from the field so for home games this our set will be the Oakland Coliseum live from the field and meanwhile all I've got is a picture of Abraham Lincoln behind me your set is a lot better than me well Abe was a big deal though and you know he would have been a huge fan of the Cubs, probably. <laughs> you are the best, Buster. You be well, and let's do this again soon. That's I always have fun talking with you. CJ's come on the show for you. We're now we're now filming it. Come oh, say hello. Sorry. This is amazing. I never played hockey, but it's kind of like playing hockey, like how you know they change shifts and people just come in and out. Like there's yeah. no like, hey, we'll be back, and CJ's going to join us after the break. You just put a headset on, a headset on, and you just jump right in. 
By the way, we've waited for a couple years. So I, I rebuilt the studio in my garage. Uh-huh. I made it more. It used to be more radio. I built it for TV. Ooh. And we've been doing this out of the, my house mm-hmm. in TV. Yesterday was the first day we finally got permission from Major League Baseball to do this on the field. Once Come again, on. we're the only team in baseball yeah. allowed to do this. It's amazing. Marcus Simeon, it just was fitting that Marcus Simeon was our first ever uh-huh. guest to do it live on the field. So That's you're amazing. live on YouTube and oh. live on Twitter right now. And if I knew that, I would have put makeup on. Obviously, some of us are more prepared than others. How are you? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Good. We were just talking about I know something and you know, wondering what you were like as a player. I mean, pitched a long time, but now StatCast – is basically following pitch tempo. Once mm-hmm. you release the ball, catcher gets it, throws it back. How long does it take? And right now, if you qualify, Shane Bieber is your quickest guy at 14 seconds. I mm-hmm. just did 14 seconds. Then yeah. I, what they consider super slow is 30, and we did it. I mean, if you and I just sit here for 30 seconds, it's awkward. It's super awkward, and it's interesting that they came up with that. You know, Fangraphs used to have they call I think they called it pace. And they had that staff for a while, and I believe it went away. And I liked using it because it's good for a broadcast, and I think it's certainly good for baseball and their teams. And you're not going to find a pitching coach in baseball that says, hey, we really need you to slow down in between pitches. Yeah. (laughs) You know, the only guy ever actually was a game here a few years ago. uh, Doug Fister was pitching for the Rangers against the A's. He was the one guy I thought was going a little bit too quick one day. He always worked really fast. But more often than not, guys are going too slow, and pitching coaches would like you to keep a good pace. There's a little science behind it as well as far as how much time a hitter actually has to adjust like if you've done something to him Hunter Pence was was very keen on all of this and how much time he needed to make sure to reset your mind to be able to make an actual adjustment so he may step out a little bit longer take a little bit more time if he didn't like what just happened on the previous pitch but you know the idea of trying to keep the game moving is important it's obviously important to Major League Baseball and to Rob Manford and it's a fun stat the first person I sent it to when I saw it was our radio guy Eric Nadell because nobody gets more worked up about how slow some pitchers work than him. The Hall like, of Famer? I said, I got good news for you. I said, they got a new stat and have at it. He was so excited because I'm sure he'll be beating some guys up that are working too slow. Okay, you're going to like this for your broadcast tonight. Cole Irvin, when he went to Oregon, mm-hmm. they had a sports psychologist show up. And he doesn't remember the name of the sports psychologist. But one of the things they talked about was it takes literally a hitter 14 seconds after he sees the pitch it then takes him 14 seconds to go through what you were just talking mm-hmm. about. 14 seconds for him to, okay, what just happened, and to reboot. Yeah. And that's why Cole Irvin wants to get that ball and get sure. back because he doesn't want the hitter to be able to reboot. Same thing Hunter Pence was talking about. And it's an interesting number because I believe the pitch clock in the minor leagues is 14, 14 seconds. Yeah. Right? And, and that, that whole thing is interesting. And I do think it's coming unless all of these pitchers, as they come up from the minor leagues and have gone through that system, are automatically working quickly. Like, if that happens where they've been trained in the minor leagues and that's just the pace that they work at because of the pitch clock, I wonder if we have a chance to maybe hold the pitch clock off. I think Rob Manfred really wants it, and so I think we're ultimately going to get it. But it is it is kind of fascinating, all the science behind it. I remember a pitching coach telling me that that was probably around 2000 or 2001, and he had a little bit of a lower number, but it was the same idea, and everyone's trying to get their information the best way that they can. But he was like, hey, it's X amount of seconds, get back and go. And I was a slow worker and not intentionally. Were you slow? It's one of those things I don't think you realize, like you were yeah. talking about. Like, you know, what we do sometimes, I think we have an idea of a body clock and everything else. But on the mound, I don't think I realized how slow I was until I actually would go back and watch games because everything's going really fast in your mind. So it doesn't feel slow, but as you're trying to slow yourself down and then all of a sudden you realize, you know what, my pace is too slow. I need to pick it up a little bit. We were talking yesterday about how Frankie Montas in his last start went down after the line drive back at him, and we had Scott Emerson, our pitching coach here, and I asked him in his career, 
Because in college, I had to do it one time, come in for in a guy who was injured. Mm. And they tell you, you got all the time <laughs> in the world. But then again, everybody's looking at you going, all right, how many pitches is it going to take? And, yeah. and you end up just getting real fast. You get on the mound, and even if you're not ready, mm. you just – you can tell a guy to work – to get – take your time, work mm. slow, but you're not. Especially – forget college. You imagine there's 40,000 people in the buzz, and everybody's like, let's oh, go, yeah. Jack. Yeah, it's not, an, it's not an ideal situation. I think the guys that do best in that are the ones that understand that you're actually there for you. Don't be a people pleaser. You know, it's a nice kind of uh, attribute to have maybe as a human being around other people and be worried about other people's feelings and keep things moving along. But when that happens, and coaches will tell you that, take your time, it's on your pace, but it's still uncomfortable. You feel like the whole world is waiting for you and waiting for this game to get started when you're ready. And I don't love the rule, and I get why they do it, but in that situation where you have to take your warm-ups there as opposed to in the bullpen, especially for the relievers that are used to it. Yeah. Right? You're so used to that atmosphere, having access to what you need down in the bullpen, whatever bands or whatever else you got going on down there. You lose all of that. Any stretching you want to do, it all has to happen out on the big league mound, almost as a form of entertainment for everybody as you're waiting. So if you wanted 20, 30 pitches, if you wanted the long toss a little, all that's kind of gone. you got to do it on the big league mound. So I wish that they would change that rule again. I know why they do it, but it is a little bit uncomfortable throwing those first few pitches in front of everybody when normally you're doing that in the bullpen and maybe feeling your way out a little bit it'd be like the pga tour like we're down at pebble and they say all right on the third hole we're going to drop you in front of the bunker short side you your first shot of the day is you're going to have to get <laughs> over the bunker short sided oh. if you go deep you're oh can you yeah. that's you're what just it's like it. i mean there's times you know you don't get the catcher down and maybe you're throwing a couple and they're kind of all over the place and yeah. it just takes a little while to get locked in but at least in that situation in the bullpen chances are there's a wall behind you i know it doesn't happen here but most bullpens where there's something behind you to kind of help your vision a little bit or it's a smaller kind of scenario but out there it's even worse so i always tell everybody about how you work for the texas rangers but some of your best work and I'm one of the guys that I love paying for it. I tell Mike Farron I'm paying for his salary, for God's <laughs> sakes. As I, I get, I, the reason why I, I get XM is to listen to you guys, and I think you guys all do a great job. And there's been a couple times, I think I've told you this before, where I've been in the car because my kid's like, Dad, I don't want to listen oh, to this. Yeah. They love now Seacrest and Kiss FM in L.A. because uh-huh. you get all the channels. Oh, yeah. But you've actually had my kids, my 6-year-old twins, rolling in the car because you guys do some funny stuff. But just – I think that's so key for you, allows you to stay connected to the entire game versus talking Rangers all the yeah, time. Yeah, it's a big part. I'm grateful to work at MLB Network Radio, and we moved our shows now, or our show where I used to do a weekend show at Ryan Spielborg's. Now it's yeah. five days a week in the afternoon. We do a 3 to 6 o'clock Eastern. I just I did it today from the hotel here uh, in San Francisco before we came over to the ballpark, and uh, it is a lot of fun. I mean, we certainly like to concentrate on what's going on, but to your point, you know, for me, when you're only calling for one team, you know, you, you little dangerous to get locked in and really only know about that team but now in the scenario where you're you're covering the entire league you're interviewing it's nice having the afternoon show because you get more interviews compared to when i was doing a morning show it's really tough to get guys to come on that early which which we know so there's more and more conversations that eventually then lead to something that's going to come up in the game whether it's even a ranger player you know quite honestly i'm still not great at this i like giving guys their space i don't want to bother guys when they're in uniform in the clubhouse there's enough media that has a job to do that i i I don't want to bug them too much but we had martin perez on the other day on mlb network radio it's the first time i had a chance to talk to him this year you know just so respectful of the space and joe barlow so i get a little deeper in even with the ranger players but then to have the conversations with guys around the league and if it comes up whether we're playing that team eventually that's where it really helps out. Or if a game gets slow and it gets out of hand and the conversation goes to maybe some bigger picture things around the league, I'm armed with some information because I'm, I'm already covering it and then also probably have had some conversations with people around the league about it. You know, we never know how human beings are going to react 
when they sign the big contract. It doesn't matter if you get that huge signing bonus in the NFL, if you get the big deal in basketball, which is totally guaranteed like baseball. Uh, we had Marcus on yesterday. You know he'll he's a hometown kid. He's beloved here. He'll always be loved, and we root for him. I think about the big contract he got, the big contract Seeger got. You don't get off to a great start. I don't know. I don't know what's in their heads. We don't know. But just talk about what the reaction. Long way to go on these contracts. Just what's the reaction been like? Texas invests a lot of money coming out of COVID. New ballpark. We can finally fill it. We got these guys. Sign them big, and they get out to slow start. Yeah, I mean, there's frustration there. I think on their part. I think it's really obvious. Obviously, you know these guys well, especially Marcus. He's a, just a good guy who cares. Uh, and so when you struggle a little bit, it was interesting. He was having a conversation with Dave Raymond, our play-by-play guy, and talking about his perception of how people were maybe seeing him now. And it's, it's, it's a dangerous thing I think we all do, but especially here in sports where he's like, oh, I bet you these guys are thinking, oh, what, is it? what are we doing with this guy? Why do we give him the contract? He's not doing very well. Meanwhile, how we're really looking at him is going, we know this guy's an awesome player. We know, obviously, there's a lot going on when you sign the big deal. And for him, you know, he spent one year in Toronto, but obviously he had that, that base here for so long. Now it's his third team in three years, right? There's a lot of that goes there. You move your family down there. It, there's just a ton. And then you want to come in and be the guy. Why at the same time you're trying to get to know everybody we had new coaching staff. Obviously, they're all new for him, but there's a lot of new coaches here as well, a new system hitting-wise. It's just a lot of information, and I think you start to put a little bit too much pressure on yourself to perform, get off to that slow start, and it can just really be a runaway train if you're not careful. He's been swinging the bat a lot better. Nobody is concerned. So it's not funny, but I kind of laugh about it that they think that his perception of how people are looking at him could not be any more opposite of what it really is. Fans believe it. They know it. We certainly believe it. The organization does. And when it's all said and done, they're going to be very happy with seven years of Marcus Simeon. Yeah, you draft a guy out of college. He comes up. He's your quarterback, and you live and die with him. And then all of a sudden, you sign him to a big deal. It's like, how does he throw an interception when he makes $32 million a year? It's like, eh, things happen. Uh, you've seen the entire division. You know, we're just past the quarter pole. How do you see when you're looking at Astros continue to be the Astros and do what they do. We've always worried what happens if Anaheim gets healthy and has pitching, and I don't know if you can sustain a six-man rotation, but, you know, the Mariners, you know, not off to run differential thing. This time it's mm. against them. I don't know what their fun differential is like last year, <laughs> but you've seen the division. What do you think? Yeah, so, I mean, the division I think is still really deep. The Astros have gotten it together. You know, the thing about them is I think we, we thought maybe we saw a window that would eventually close, and they've replaced guys really, really well, right? Jeremy Pena looks like he's the real deal. Nobody in Houston misses Carlos Correa, Kyle Tucker, Jordan Alvarez. These, this next group, this next core that is coming up is legit. And the pitching, too. Framer Valdez, Luis Garcia, we've seen these arms. Christian Javier. So they're a concern, no doubt. For everybody in the division, the Astros are going to continue um, to be a little bit of a concern. You bring up a good point about the Angels in health and pitching. Uh, right now, that lineup looks pretty healthy. Uh, at the top of the lineup, especially when we were there, they were going Otani Trout 1-2, yeah. um, which is, I mean, as a starting pitcher, there is no, let me get this little leadoff guy and hopefully I can get him out and don't worry about the contact guy that's trying to get him over. I mean, it's MVP after MVP to kick things off. So the pitching has been pretty good, obviously. You know, Noah Syndergaard was a big question mark coming in. He hadn't pitched in two years. He looked great. We got to him. We knocked him out in the first inning the first time they saw him, but they had back-to-back starts the second one. He threw the ball really well, and he's thrown the ball well all year long. So they have the pitching. It will be interesting to see if they can go out and get somebody, I think, deadline time. 
Uh, that'll be important for them to try to win that um, division. The Rangers, you know, doing their thing, and obviously we know what's going on here uh, with the A's. And Seattle's a huge disappointment so far, quite honestly. I think a lot of people assumed 90 wins, just missed the postseason. You look at kind of what they bring in, you're like, okay, well, where do we go from 90? Like it's automatically going to be 93 or 95, and that hasn't been the case. You know, one of the guys I know you guys have seen him a bunch as well, Chris Flexen was such a great story for them last year. The value that they got for him on a really inexpensive contract coming from Korea, they probably recouped that value within the first two months of him. He's really struggled this year, uh, kind of surprising. I think he's one at six right now. The ERA is pretty high. So uh, that's a little bit of a disappointment. Robbie Ray hasn't quite been there yet for them. Uh, the young outfielders like Jared Kellenick, who's now in the minor leagues, there's certainly been some growing pains with some of their younger players. But they got Kyle Lewis back right now. Julio Rodriguez looks like he's figuring it out. He's a pretty comfortable big leaguer. Uh, they could be a problem. We'll see if they can get it together. But it's been a pretty slow start. So this division's good. We know the A's aren't going to struggle for, for very long. They do a pretty good job of finding those pieces. And all of a sudden you turn around like, hey, what are they doing here? Yeah. <laughs> right? It seems like that's kind of how it goes here with the A's. So this division's going to be very competitive for years to come, I think. Okay. How many years did you pitch in the big leagues? Uh, well, parts of 10. I bounced around like crazy. But uh, I played the guy. I tricked people into paying me for 19 years. But okay. parts of 10 in the big leagues. 19 years. Now, I've been saying this on A's Cast Live, and I know a lot of our analytics people do not agree with me. All right. That's fine. We have our. Who doesn't love a good analytics? I don't always drink the Kool Aid all Uh the time. I have basically called it out saying, listen, you just want pitchers to go out there and throw as hard as they can, spin Mm. it as hard as they can. You don't want them to go that long. You want optimum performance, and we'll always bring in somebody new to where we're talking about maybe not even having a guy this year throw 200 innings. Mm. I've been saying that's not sustainable. And this is the year it crashes and burn. You're not going to have enough pitching. And they're already starting to prove me right as they played the the health card that we still need to have all these pitchers into mm-hmm. June. They're playing into my hand. Uh, I'm with you on that one. And the fact that we extended it now, what, to June 19th for yeah. 14 pitchers, I think tells exactly that story that you're talking about. I don't know if it's that teams don't want that guy, but what you see happening, even when you spend a lot of money on a high draft pick and kids coming out of college, is they really protect these arms in a big way, and they're not going to push them. And, you know, it's funny. I was, I was, I was fortunate. I was a high-round draft pick coming out of college as a starter. And you were St. John's, right? I was. I was St. John's and, and, again, tricked somebody on one day at least to take me ninth overall. But coming out of college, I went and made 14 starts in AA right away. It's not going to happen. They don't do that anymore, right? They, some guys don't even People pitch. People would be fired if yeah. that happened. I mean, Jack Leiter didn't, you know, he didn't, for us didn't pitch, and now they're pitching him this year. And, and I, I was fortunate. You know, growing up in the Northeast, I mean, everybody's story is different, but not playing travel ball because it didn't exist, I think, allowed me to stay healthy as long as I did. But when I go back and look, it wasn't a lot of success there, but I was out there, you know, 14 starts on, in the half the season. The next, my first full year in baseball, I made 32 starts. And I think I had two relief appearances to go see, with it. See, see what happened. So I, baseball. And I, yeah, again, it wasn't all that successful, but I was out there making. You were the, I mean, successful. Thirty-two starts is a lot now for, for your first year in pro ball. And again, everybody's story is different. And these guys are certainly bigger, faster, stronger than they ever have been. But you know, John Smoltz harps on this a lot, and, and I'm with him on this. It's the way that you train players and the way that you train, especially these pitchers. And it's like, listen, if you want, you know, you want a racehorse, you want a guy that's going to be at the top, then you got to train him that way, right? You train him like a pony, you're going to get a pony. It's kind of how it is. But maybe they're okay with it. They think that's going to work. I would love to see some more guys pushed a little bit harder, uh, picking those arms that you feel like you can 
you can really go ahead and give them those extra few pitches. You know, you're sitting at 85 pitches and you got your back against the wall in the sixth inning, and a lot of times we we'll go to the bullpen. And I get it; those guys down there are unbelievable. But I think at least in the developmental process, push them a little bit. Let's see what they have. Maybe they'll surprise you. And you know, nobody stays healthy. I mean, that's just the reality. Everybody gets hurt. It's just what happens in the game, and I think you live with it and you move on. Well, I know on XM it's channel 89. I don't know what it is on Sirius, but Sirius XM. Hey, we're 89 only now. We're finally done with the two numbers. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I remember because I, I bring everybody on from yeah. the channel, and I was like, well, I got you on 89. Yeah. NFL's 88, uh-huh. PGA Tours 92, so it's now 89. We're done. No more, no more uh, serious 209XM89. We are, we are 89 all the way. And of course, can watch him doing Texas Rangers baseball. You're one of the best in the business. Oh, we're kind, talking brother. about when we're talking about because we'll lump it in as radio because even streaming and you know talking mm-hmm. about being on satellite. But when you talk about TV and radio, because we're watching your games on the time. You're as good as it gets. Oh, I appreciate you saying that. It's uh, it's very kind. I just I love what I do. I feel grateful. For what we do, I love the business. I love talking about the business. And, uh, you know, all those years of playing the game and, and 19 years and it was eight different teams in the big leagues and Japan, Korea, Dominican, all the releases, all the trades, all the nonsense that went on during that time. Now that I'm here, I realize, okay, I get it because all those experiences have really helped me. Over 1,000 teammates, you know, 40 managers along the way all around the world has helped me to see the game so many different ways. And we're still constantly learning because the game's always changing. And it's, it's really helped my broadcast career. And I think maybe I've got a you know, big, broad opinion of the game and, and taking it in so many different ways. So I feel grateful. I, I appreciate you saying that. I'm just trying to keep my head down and not get in any trouble. Just do it faster. <laughs> just give, give me keep your tempo. Moving. Keep your tempo. We need a faster pace. <laughs> that is true. We got more coming up next right here on A's Cast Live. Kevin Smith joins us here. You may not remember, but we talked down at spring training about a mask on. Yes, yes. I do remember. Yeah, how There was are a lot you? of people down there, but but I remember. Yeah, I'm yeah. great, man. How's it going? New guys come in, and we all have to be a mask. And you're like, hey, we'll see you in Oakland, but you're going to have no idea what we look like, so it's good it's to tough. finally, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we talked about it. I've tried to tell A's fans a lot about our conversation, about how excited your family was about you coming to the A's because you were growing up, the big all-star team wore green and gold, and it was like an honor to be on that all-star team. They sent like a picture of you as a kid in one of those uniforms to remind you, hey, you've always been wearing green and gold. That's right, man. I mean, the the day that that I got traded, a lot of stuff happened, and and it was a busy day. But when I got back to my phone, the first first message I had was from my mom and dad. They pulled out the A's jersey. It's it's a really small jersey. I think I was like seven or eight, and uh, that was the first jersey I had in Little League. And so they were they were excited. They're not excited. They're losing a lot of sleep because all the all the West Coast games. But uh, my dad's uh, my dad's losing some sleep before school, but he's happy. Where where are they? They're in New York, upstate New York, still. So. Oh yeah, so, so that's, they're on that's East Coast. Brutal. Yeah, they're on East Coast time. He's losing a lot of sleep <laughs> out there, but he's uh, he's working through it for sure. Actually, you know what? They're they are a little bit lucky because. When, when when did we so we used to be seven oh seven, yeah. And lucky see. that it's six forty. Like we used to be seven oh seven, and you're talking about three hour games. Uh, your <laughs> poor sure. parents. So it, I know it's kind of been easier uh, with the six forty start. You know, last time we talked, knowing that you're at heart a middle infielder, but yeah, playing a lot of third base. But man, this year you at third base, you start looking at all the defensive metrics. You're as good as anybody out at third base in all of baseball. I appreciate that. So the that. work you put in, by the way, it's working. <laughs> Something's going right. He's getting me right for sure. Uh, it's been fun, though, man. It's been fun just learning the different footwork over there, learning how to approach different balls. And uh, it's been fun, man, watching, watching, just watching a lot of film, 
trying to get better every day, but, you know, he's been doing a great job making sure I'm staying on track and getting out here for early work and uh, doing the best I can to make sure I can get some outs for our pitchers. You know, it's so interesting when you play third base and you play up. One of the things you can do is just block it, get in front of you, come up and fire. Yeah. And shortstop, you can't do that. And shortstop for me is always so tough because you got to have beautiful footwork, right? For it's sure. like the best athletes are shortstops. But also at shortstop, you don't have a lot of time compared to you do have a lot of time sometimes at third base. What's that transition been like? Yeah, I mean, once you catch it, you got a ton of time, right? But catching it's the hard part. So, you know, it's trying smoked to, at you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just how much – I didn't realize how much curves in the ball. You know, you're always getting a hook. You're always getting a bleed or something from a lefty, from a righty. So, at short, you're getting way more <clears throat> straight balls just because they're hitting it better. It's more in the barrel. It's more up the field. At third base, they move a lot more. So, just getting used to that, what it looks like off the bat, how I have to approach those balls. But trying to play third as much as a shortstop as I can, you know, playing short for so long like you said you work on feet work so much and so uh, the more that I can back up and almost be like a second shortstop over there I feel like I get more range and, and get the benefit of the doubt to the pitchers and get as many outs as I can for them. You know we talked to Mark Kotze earlier today for the Mark Kotze show about defense you know he used to set the defense for Bob Melvin and we saw it last night a little bit of a mix-up where you're looking at trying you know you got to worry about the bunt you got Elvis actually playing second base. You got Noisy, I don't even want to call that. He's in between what second and first would be. Ground ball to 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 Elvis. And next thing Noisy's cutting over to second base. <laughs> it's like and it's like when you take guys out of their normal spots and shifting yeah. and you try and turn double plays or stuff, sometimes it looks chaotic. What's it like as an infielder? Because you're doing things you're not used to. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, especially when we shift like that, especially with the guy in first, um, you're trying to take away the bunt from the lefty. So you're kind of playing in. You're pretty far from second. Um, once the ball's hit to E, it's either you're running to second base, but if he doesn't look at you, you know, E has a great eternal clock. So if he's diving, he, he thinks he can't get the out second, throws the first, all of a sudden third base is wide open, they can get the third, right? So a bunch of stuff runs through your head right there. Should I run to second? Should I go back to third? Uh, can I even get to second? Am I just running over there for no reason? And then we got, you know, first and third if he can't get the out. So um, that's kind of what happens, though, in these shifts. You get a lot of weird plays. They're really fun to make when you make them, you know, whether the second baseman's running over or the shortstop's running over to make them. Um, you just hope that it all evens out at the end, right? You want, you want to make more outs than have, have of those. And I think we've done a pretty good job this year of doing that. Um, but, like, when you're in those shifts and those happen, it kind of gets exposed, and, and you kind of see those more than the routine plays that wouldn't have been made if you weren't in the shift, you know. So as a, as a defense, you just have to accept that we're going off the numbers and, and they're putting us in great spots to make plays. You just kind of have to live and die by that. Yeah, the, the, the data shows more often than not the shifts work. It's just when something like that happens, you're like, what the hell is yeah. going on? You got people going on. And especially if it's in a play where you have a game last night where everything mattered, right? Everything's mm -hmm. so close, the game's going to be close that sometimes those plays you look at and you go, why the hell are you doing that? Could have cost you the game. It's just yeah. – it, and I understand. It kind of reminds me like in golf, a shot that you don't practice, like all of a sudden on the course i got to pull this screaming hook around a tree. I can't practice that on the range. <laughs> Seems like sometimes you exactly. guys are in that in that spot. Yeah, I mean, that's what makes baseball fun is all those plays you don't practice, right, where you're out there and it's in just in a weird situation where maybe it happens once or twice a year and it's not worth it to spend an hour, you know, before a game focusing on that one play. You might as well, you know, practice on the 80%, the 90% that you're going to get. So when those happen, though, that's kind of – that's why we're out there. That's why it's fun. And, and what makes it so fun to be out there is when those plays happen and, and you make them, it's like no one even knew what we were supposed to do. 
we were in a crazy situation that we've never been in and, and we end up getting the out. So, you know, that makes it fun, but it also makes it hectic out there sometimes. There's been times where you've gotten hot offensively. What do you think is the key for you getting more at bats and playing every day? Of course, you had a little bit of the hiccup in the injury, but just w what's it going to take for you to truly get back on track? Yeah, I think it's just being consistent. You know, obviously the injury was tough. I felt like I was I was really good before that, and now we're finally getting back in the groove. But, you know, it's it's tough, man. It's the big Don't leagues. Slide. You're facing. You're facing. It, that was a crazy play. So I actually tripped myself like two steps before then, yeah. and it was either head first or feet first, and my body, I just blacked out. And uh, I got up, and I was fine. I told D, I said, if I hurt myself right there, I'd be really pissed off. And then, of course, you know, the next day it blows up, and we had a few days there. But, um, yeah, that's – that's the that's the name of the game, right? You're facing the best guys in the world every single day, and so that's this is the first level you get to do that at, and, you, and hopefully you do it for a really long time. So, just getting used to to how the game goes, you know, the pitchers that you haven't seen before, um, they've seen a lot of hitters before, you know, so they know how to attack you, and it's just that back and forth of constantly making adjustments. But you know, the more at bats you get, and the more games that you play, the more comfortable that you feel, the more you can kind of be more consistent. And something that we've been talking about today that's been coming out in the notes, and it's kind of they're now doing this thing called pitch, pitch tempo where they're tracking mm. how fast the pitchers are. So I say it all the time, work fast, work fast, because it helps not only the pitcher, the catcher get into rhythm, Defense. but it helps the D. Explain sure. to everybody 100%. the difference between a guy who works fast and you as an infielder are versus a guy who works slow. Yeah, it's tough because when the guy's working fast, like, you're ready constantly, right? So he pitches, he comes back, you're getting ready again. You can kind of get in the flow of the game. Typically, the defense just plays better because you're not out there for 25, 30 minutes at that time, you know? So when a guy's working slow, it gets a little harder. You got you to gotta wait a little longer if they're, if they're not really hitting their spots and they start walking guys. Now, you know, you've been out there for five or ten minutes where a play hasn't been made. You haven't really moved around. You haven't thrown. So... I don't know what the science is behind it. I'd be interested in someone a lot smarter than me kind of looking into that. But just as a, def as a defense, you know, when you're out there and, and got, like, someone like Irving or Logue, I mean, all of our pitchers, Blackburn, I mean, just attacking guys and working fast, it helps us a bunch. I can tell you we did the stopwatch out here at the start of the show. We did 14 seconds. Goes by pretty quick. Yeah. 30 seconds? It's, it's a tough. long time. If we sat here just 30 seconds, it's a long time. It's you did that in between time. every pitch. You can mm -hmm. see as an infielder just going, bro, throw the ball. <laughs> Let's go. Like, Locking like, in for that long is tough. It makes it that, That's the biggest thing, right? You want to lock in every pitch. Like You want to make sure that you're on, on your game. So the longer you have to go between that, it's not just that one pitch. It's every you know 170 pitches throughout the night over and over every day um, instead of it being a lot more quick and, and you can kind of you know be on top of your game a little better. All right, we know you got to get in, so let's end on this. Now playing for a California team. Mm -hmm. You've been here for a while. You've had a few weeks. You had that one where you're here, San Francisco back and long place to sleep in your own bed now yeah. here. What is the one thing you've really enjoyed about now playing full-time for a California team? It's got to be the weather. got to be the weather. I'm from New York. I, I've always wanted to live in Cali. Like, when we were in elementary school and they are like, where's your dream spot to live? It was always Cali. So, like I said, my, my parents are losing a lot of sleep, but uh, my body works way better on West Coast time. <laughs> I feel, you know, on the east, you're up really late, and then you get over here, and it's 11 o'clock, and you can get to bed and, and get some good sleep in. But uh, it's got to be the weather, man. It's, it's been awesome. It's sunny all the time. It's You never have to worry if it's going to downpour for three straight days. You never have to worry about a May snowstorm. So uh, it's been great. Rain delays. You see that? See, see people can see. They're watching it right now yeah, live. there we go. That there thing, that tarp never gets pulled out. <laughs> Never. I don't even know if there's a tarp under there. I, don't I can't even remember. Anybody yeah. remember the last time? When's the last time, Cody, we pulled the tarp out? I think the last rain delay 
slash postponement was like 2017. Okay. I guess it's worth it to have the tarp every five, six years, right? Got to pull it out. Welcome to California, my hey, friend. Seattle did it right. They, they just pulled that dome right over and we kept playing. So Yeah, they make sure. That this, and the great thing, Texas and the humidity and all that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it gets hot. It rains every day. Yeah. Not anymore. You get 81 games in. It's right. 72 degrees and let's go. That's what's nice about here, too. I heard when it gets hot in the summer, you know, in New York, it's humid. You don't want to go outside. No here, humidity. It's, here it's perfect. So uh, I'm excited for the rest of the year, man. It's going to be fun. Well, welcome to your first time on our set here yeah, Ace Cast nice. Live. Yeah. Great stuff. Keep killing it at third base, and we'll talk Thank to you. you soon. I appreciate it, man. Thanks. We got more coming up next right here on A's Cast Live. And it is just fitting here for you watching on YouTube, you watching on Twitter, that our first guest is our old friend Marcus Simeon, someone who has been so good to us all the years as a great A and a guy from the Bay Area, San Francisco to Berkeley to the Oakland Athletics, now with the Texas Rangers. I, it's just fitting that we finally are allowed to do this, and you're our first guest. How you been? I'm doing well. I'm happy to be home. Yeah, no, I'm just seeing you walk over here and all the hugs, uh, all the guys, and obviously home for family, and, uh, you know, probably the kids come with you and grandparents get to see the kids. I know it's your second time this season, but it's always got to feel good when those uh, when the plane touches down and you're back. It is, you know, it's that was a big reason I came back to the AL West. You know, free agency, you get to decide, you know, where you want to go to a certain extent. And, you know, Texas and the AL West is important uh, to me to be able to come home and see my parents more. And um, we still have a house here, so to stay in the house, it, it, it was nice. Well, I can tell you, I just tell people, you know, when I first left the radio station to take the job with the A's, it was a very, it was a big decision, right? It was uh, for my family, it was very emotional, and it was a risk, and it was all of that. And I'll never forget, so I sign with the A's, I leave the radio station, I go down to spring training, we're launching A's cast for the very first time, and most players, they don't know, they don't care, right? They have no idea. It was you who came up to me in the clubhouse and said, hey, congratulations, I heard you're coming to the A's. I'll never forget that. And to me, it will always show what a class act and what a great A you'll always be and while we'll always love you as an A because how thoughtful, you, how thoughtful you were and you still are to this day, but how you just know everything that's going on. The fact that you came over and said that to me, that'll always mean a lot. No, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm happy that you, you're still doing what you're doing with the A's and you're making a big impact on this community and um, – you know, I always paid attention to Bay Area sports as a kid. So, you know, whether it's on the radio or, you know, the TV networks or whatever, a lot of people in this area want to know what's going on. And for you to deliver that, it, it means a lot. Well, and, and I think about where you have gone. And I, I do want there's I actually have a couple of questions about Toronto. But how's it going so far in Texas? Because let's face it, third team in third years, it's a, in, in three years, it's a lot of change. Yeah, definitely. You know, last year going to Toronto, um, you know, having a, you know, not great first month. You don't know anybody. Um, it's not always the easiest thing. Now this year, same thing. A little bit worse, little bit worse of a slump. Um, but there's some things that I'm working out and I'm excited about. Um, we have a good mix of veteran and young talent here in, in Texas as well that I'm really excited about. And a front office that is really hungry to win. So it's a good combination. Well, it's interesting, you know, you, you, you know, talk about slow starts, but then all of a sudden now here you guys come. Like all of a sudden you were looking at the standings going, wow, Texas is in trouble. 
you've erased that and you're starting to play well in the West. You guys are coming in here, no question, with a lot of confidence. Yeah, the last nine games we knew uh, what we had in front of us with Anaheim, Houston, and Anaheim again, and um, and then here in Oakland. So we knew that we needed to play our best ball in the division. Um, our pitching has been unbelievable. You know, I think it's time for the bats to get going, and we'll see what we can do. And, you know, everybody's saying that in the league. That's the thing is that you, you, you look around, and I don't know if it's the humidor. I don't know. People are talking about when the weather warms up. Uh, balls have been different. We've been talking about that for years. Just It's just not you guys or yourself. There's a lot of people have been struggling early. Do you think there's something to the humidor or the balls or anything? Well, I mean, now we have technology to tell us how hard we hit it at what angle. And, you yeah. know, certain years, certain miles per hour with a certain angle, we're getting out. Um, and it depends. You know, it's still early where the weather is not hot yet. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's something that as a hitter I always pay attention to, especially as a guy who doesn't hit the ball 110, 115 miles an hour. You need to, you know, hit it 100, 105 at a, at a 30 degree and feel like it's going to get out. And that's kind of my game and what my game has been. Um, so we'll see how the year goes on. But, like I said, personally I feel like, if my mechanics are right and I'm doing things the right way, I'm confident and I'm, I'm happy with where I'm at. Now, I, I only got to go to the old ballpark. I haven't traveled with a team since COVID. I, I got to imagine going to that new yard every day is pretty sweet. It is very sweet. Um, it's, it's luxury. It's <laughs> You walk in the clubhouse, you have everything you need. The, the facilities are amazing. It's a great place to show up to work. Um, and you know me, I just want to play baseball. So um, they have provided everything we need as players to get better and, and win, and now it's up to us to utilize it to the best of our ability. What do you think of the division so far now that you've seen the division? I mean, we just finally just saw the Mariners for the first time. I know the Angels at this point still haven't seen the Mariners. You've seen everybody in division. So when we talk about yourself, you talk about the Angels, you talk about the Astros. Like, like how, how how do you see the division as someone who's played in it for so long now? Yeah, it's a well-balanced division. I think that everybody's got pitching. Um, all the starters in the, the division are rolling right now. Um, in Seattle, they're sitting there at the bottom right now, I believe, and they have, you know, former Cy Young winner and a bunch of young arms. So they – they're going to make some noise too. Uh, it's really going to come down to who's hitting and who's playing the best defense because the pitching has been locked in in the, the division. Now I got. I wanted to ask you about Toronto because some of the, you know you could say to a guy, "Hey, what was it like playing in Toronto?" But that's not Marcus Simeon's journey with the Toronto Blue Jays. Technically, there was some Toronto. There was also your spring training facility. There was Buffalo. What's it like playing for a team that doesn't really have a home? I mean, that had to be a crazy year for you. It was. I mean, we started the year off in Dunedin where I think most of the games were like road games to us. Um, we, The Blue Jays did not have a large fan base in Dunedin. Um, everyone in our division seemed to have a larger fan base. We played Tampa, obviously, that's close to Dunedin. Yeah. Red Sox, um, Yankees, they had more fans than we did. So we, you know, it was an adjustment to play big league games in a spring training facility under the lights where the lights are a little dimmer. Um, but then when we went to Buffalo, we kind of turned it on. We had fan support throughout. We had um, we had literally Toronto fans coming down to Buffalo and packing that AAA stadium. We felt the energy. And once we got to Toronto, although it was 
limited capacity, it was it felt loud in there, and we really fed off that. And I think about the crowds that you guys get in Texas because the new ballpark, people just want to experience it. And now they they, they they have something that they've always wanted, a ballpark inside with air conditioning. You remember all the years going there as an opponent where it's hot, it's raining. It's, you know, I mean, the one year we were there, it was like tornadoes were happening right outside. Our plane got hit. Remember that? Mm-hmm. How crazy. Our plane, actually, the stairs, the wind was so strong, the stairs hit the wing of the plane. They had to fly another plane in for us to then to go to Tampa. Mm-hmm. But now I got to think for them, just to know you're going to have a baseball game every day has to be huge. That's big. I mean, we had that luxury here in Oakland. I feel like there's rarely a rain delay here. Um, you know, playing in the AL East, there's a ton of rain delays, and it affects you as a player. Um, but, yeah, the, the stadium, like I said, is best in baseball, in my opinion. It's, a, it's more of a pitcher's park than a hitter's park, but in terms of showing up to work and playing every day, it's 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 one of the best. And I always enjoyed going to the old Texas even. I just – I enjoy that road trip um, as a road player, that hotel. Just playing in Texas was nice, and now it's even better. You know, when I think about your journey, obviously you know how our fan base feels. They wanted you to be here forever, and it was hard when you left. It was was the start of kind of we know how this thing was going to roll, and it was sad, but you'll always be loved here, obviously. But when you went through that process, you have that process really once in your career. Here you are, free agent, boom. What was that like, and why was the decision the Texas Rangers? Yeah, well, for me, I, I got to go through free agency twice technically. Um, my body of work in 2020 was not as good as 2021, so the market was way better in 2021. Um, and I was, you know, at 31 years old, we were just trying to figure out how many years uh, we could get and who – you know, who needed a middle infielder. I was still contemplating playing shortstop. Um, But now as a second baseman, we understood what the market was, and it came down to really the numbers, um, the finances of it, and we got the best deal, uh, the best offer from Texas, and it was a place that was at the top of our list, and it, it really lined up. And I know you look at a deal like this and you say, this is what sets me up for the rest of your life, your career, generational wealth. That's great. We're all happy for you. But I think a guy like yourself who loves this game and keeps yourself in unbelievable shape, I mean, in your mind, aren't you thinking playing longer than this contract? I am. You know, I obviously we're in year one of a seven-year contract. That's yeah. a long time from now. But the way I train and prepare is to, to play beyond that, of course. Um I love the game. I'm, I'm the type of person who wants to play until they take the jersey off my back. Um, some people, you, you look at what Posey did and say, he had more years, he had more years. I'm, like I said, I'm the kind of guy who's going to keep going until I can't, and you know that's just how I was raised. How's the family doing? We're good. Um, three boys now, You know, kindergarten, graduate, uh, preschooler, and a one-year-old just running around. And we're adjusting to Texas. You know, we, we moved out there full-time now, so uh, it's been a transition year, especially this offseason with everything that went on with the, with the union and everything and free agency, and, and we're just getting settled in now. Yeah, we've watched your family grow, and it's interesting, you know, to watch you as a player, watch your family grow. It's been one of the things, and, you know, life changes, but the one thing that I think it's always been a great advantage for you is your wife and how supportive she is, obviously being a former athlete herself and understanding the business that that's just got to help you 
we know how hard you work and we know what you put into it and it helps that you have that support off the field no doubt uh, my wife you know her work ethic is probably better than mine um not only when she played but as a parent and as a, a wife and for me it's it makes me uh just more calm when i come to work to know that my family and my my kids are in good hands and um i do everything i can here to make sure they're comfortable at home well i'll say this because i know you got a meeting you got to go to i've been doing this a long time right we say goodbye to kurt suzuki we say goodbye to Stephen vote we say goodbye to Jed Lowry. <laughs> Everybody, for some reason, they I mean, how many times did Ricky Anderson come back, right? Jose Canseco came back. I know you're going to play a long time, and we, we, you know, even though you're in division, you know we're always going to root for you. You're one of our favorites of all time, just not just because of what you've done on the field, knowing what kind of person you are. We'll always root for you. I do feel if there's, like, like players – I can see you back in an A's uniform. I don't know when. I just have a feeling we'll see you again in Oakland. Yeah, you never know. Like I said, I want to continue to play uh, as long as I can. Um, the goatee may be a little grayer. Uh, <laughs> we have that conversation. But, you know, you know this is home. Um, and it's a place I'm very familiar with. And, you know, that's a long time from now. But I've seen tons of players come back here for a reason. And I know the reason. Um and it's, it's the community and the, the people in this organization that take care of players, and it's a certain brand of baseball that players here love. Well, I'll tell you what, it's just fitting that our first day being able to be live on the field here for you on YouTube and on Twitter, for it to be Marcus Simeon as our first guest as we look to continue to grow this. Hey, thank you so much. It's great to see you. It's great to see that you're healthy, happy, the family's good. And like I said, for A's fans, you're one of the favorite A's of all time, and everybody here is always going to root for you. Whether you're playing against us or not, we will always root for you. So let's do this again soon, and good luck the rest of the season. You stay healthy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. The great Marcus Simeon right here on A's Cast Live. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.